Okay, we're live. All right, what's up, everybody? Having fun? Everybody say hello at once. One, two, three, go. Rock. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? What's up, dude? Um, we're going to get to the Yuri Bezmanov video. We're just going to watch it all the way through because people were bringing up, uh, everybody's seen it. I've never seen it. People were bringing up the similarities to today. So we will, we're going to go through the whole thing step by step, pretty much. If you, uh, want to say something that's relevant to today or about the video, just yell pause. I'll go ahead and pause it and we'll just talk about it. Pretty simple. Dave, but you also pause too when you feel the need to as well. Oh, thank you, sir. But I'm, I'm going to be enamored. I'm sure. Um, the first thing I want to do before we do this, I wanted to show this little clip of this video. Go follow this guy. His name is Jimmy P. Toons. And uh, subscribe to his thing. We were talking about Patrice O'Neill a little bit, right? And let's just give a couple couple tech seconds of this. We come risk it, friend. Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> risk it all to fuck a pig in the mouth behind a dumpster. Jesus. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I do love my wife. I do love my children. I don't want to lose them. But I want to fuck that pig. Holy shit. It's not a disease. It just is what it is. Uh, that That's is fucking fuck. It's a fight to not fuck other women. Why is that so bad? It's a fight. Yeah, those books, they'll write books. All right, so go and watch that again. We love Patrice. What were you guys saying? You guys were started saying something about um, how maybe you thought Patrice might have been taken out or something? Yeah. What, uh, so what are the theories? The official story is that he, he suffered from a stroke and, and then was unable to carry on because the stroke was so severe. But the reason why I don't believe that 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 happened was because he had just like months before, right? He had just, he dropped, he just dropped his national uh, comedy special elephant in a room, which crushed by the way on comedy central. He was featured on Charlie Sheen's roast and he destroyed that. Also he was, um, he changed his diet apparently from his, according to his wife. Um, and he, he was starting to become vegan so uh, and also he made he made an enemy of now. Are you guys familiar with now? No, who's that? It's um. Or who's what is that? It was a go? it was a feminist organization oh. that was trying to censor places like ONA because of their vulgar, you know, topics and language and things national like that. organization for women. Exactly, and um, and if you look, he he actually had an interview on Fox News with the leader of now and he completely demolished her from top to bottom. I remember every that point. Yep. So he one thing about Patrice O'Neill was that he was a man of like extreme integrity to the point where it ruined his fucking career. Hey, um, hey what do you uh, that thing's coming through the, uh, the speaker pretty loud. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. So uh okay, go on. The feminist. Uh yeah, so so right there, the video's right there. That was Sonia Osario, I believe. She was the I don't know what what position she held in that organization, but she got destroyed on live television by Patrice O'Neill. And if you if we, we can re, we should revisit that video too because it really ties into our 
our um, cancel culture today. You know, Patrice was Patrice was at at the head of the curve there, trying to stop it, and he was one of the very few that was trying to. Bitch, better have my money. <laughs> fucking uh, uh, D- he called Condoleezza Rice the Bush bitch. Shit, 30, 40 years later, they recorded over stuff. Right. The world is how many? But all funny. I'm a they next comic Patrice. There it is. Yeah, there's the the Patrice thing. So we got Patrice O'Neill. When that whole thing went down, he was invited to go on uh, Fox and listen to what he does to this woman. With me now, new city president, now new city president, Sonia Osario. <laughs> she took part in a recent protest calling for radio stations <laughs> to stop, stop supporting <laughs> negative language in music and talk radio. And also our favorite stand-up <laughs> comic, Patrice O'Neill. Oh, thank you, sir. Patrice, uh, are O&A next? Look at this I fucking chungus. I hope JV, I wish JV and I was going to lose their job. Well, I'm a... It's funny. This is the thing. I, I have. I don't know her, but I'm. A, I'm assuming that she has nothing to do with funny. So I'm gonna speak as the expert on funny. Funny people should just be left to trying to be funny. What if, what if they're not funny? Then you made a mistake. But how many? Listen. How many times has the unfunny? How many? Unfunny rape jokes lead to rape. Like I don't know how many jokes about rape there are. There's a lot, but your your world is not funny. Your world is next next on the big story. My world is people trying to be funny. Well, I mean, you you think it's okay to try to make jokes about rape? I'm diabetic. I make fun of that. I'm a victim. I'm gonna lose a toe. But I'm trying to make fun of. I'm trying to make fun of anything I I think I can make fun of. Sonia. You know, uh. what's happening now is the marketplace okay. is deciding what's appropriate or what's not appropriate. It's, I think the nation is just tired. There's a new uh. mood in the nation. Oh, wait, pause that for one second. This yeah, is yeah. why you got to hate women like this. this the marketplace <laughs> decides what's appropriate. So how about the marketplace dictates that women should make less money, you dopey bitch? Is that appropriate? <laughs> yeah. Or should what is quote-unquote right... Uh, rise above okay well we get the point with this i mean we love patrice so what's the uh what was the rest of the uh so you think that maybe there was a connection here like like the elites were like no 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 we need corporatism we can't be no we can't be letting no, this guy spout out anti-corporatism stuff pretty much yeah patrice o'neill was the ahead of that and he was one of the very few that was really outwardly speaking against what what they were trying to do back then as far as like reshaping culture in, and really essentially destroying comedy any other so if you, comments if you were, sorry go on no no think about it like when was the last time you uh, we had a raunchy comedy yeah um right and it seems like the people that were all the people that did those raunchy comedies like seth rogan and um um the other one what's his name fuck um uh shit <sighs> The, yeah, uh, I know. I know. Not Adam about. Sandler so much. It. Adam Sandler has always kind of been like really cheesy with the this guy, stuff, so you can't really. The guy who did old school and the guy who did yeah. The, the, um... I keep on wanting to say David Tell, but that's definitely not it. It's Judd Apatow. No, like, no, these... not Judd. Apatow. Oh, that's For what I'm talking too. about. Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen, like they've gone fully, you know, because they're shills. They they cowto fully through... woke. They have it's no like integrity. just literally just five years ago you were doing like a movie in North Korea. Like, come on. <sighs> well, I mean, Judd Apatow's whole MO is like this nerd is going to get this hot girl because he's like totally himself. 
you know? Yeah. Like, the, there's a whole, like, glorifying of uh, beta guys, I guess. Yeah, there's that for the sure. Opposite. Hell yeah. And um, Todd Phillips is the other one who was just crushing it in the raunchy comedy game. He did old school, the, uh, the fucking, what's the Vegas movies? Um, Ocean's Eleven? The Hangover? Oh, Hangover, no, 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 Hangover, no. Hangover. Hangover. He did the Hangover movies, and he directed the, the most recent Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. It got to the point where he had to do, like, start doing serious shit because comedy was just not possible anymore. I'm trying to think, like, what was the last successful raunchy comedy? Try to think of one. Yeah, um, point. Um, Over 10 years, at least. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, can't, I can't yeah. really remember. I, yeah, can't even think. I don't really even watch movies all that much. There, has, there hasn't been. I mean, especially not comedy movies, not like whatever their attempt of. But you're right. Like even trying to think about a lot of them are like dark comedy. It feels like. Although the show, most recent show that I think is great is Barry, but it's not really considered a raunchy comedy, although it can be raunchy at times. It's a dark, it's a dark comedy. It's a dark, yeah, I, I see it's, what you mean. it's like a dramedy more than it is like a dark comedy. Because a dark like comedy Barry, to me but... means like it's drier sort of and it has like this, but this isn't really like, this is like drama, really good drama mixed with really fucking hilarious slapstick even sometimes funny. Which is yeah, raunchy uh, comedy is a comedy you can go see with your buddies, yeah, get I know. wasted, have a couple of beers, and yeah. have a good time. You know, they don't, I mean, they don't make this is like the end, anymore. probably right. Well, see, and then that's a whole Judd Apatow crew, though. exactly. And and that all focus on some there's some weird shit, in Fuck there yeah, too. like 2013. Like, think about the demon fucking uh, that little pudgy guy, mm -hmm. and then there's Jonah. also Danny, um, what's his face, like was fucking shaming Tatum. Yeah, Danny yeah. McBride. Damn. Maybe that was, what a, if that was a. What if that was like an allegory to like comedy? This is, like the, this is the end. This is the end. I was just going to say that. Maybe it's a metaphor for being, all right, this is it. This is the last one you'll ever get. Let's do it. As, let's have what? Mike, let's have Mike, Sarah, Michael, Sarah do coke and get pissed off about, you know, like being just like a fucking crazy coke head. Let's have Jonah get raped yeah. in the ass. Let's have somebody this suck another what? dick. Just go yeah, on. Yeah, man. I love That's it. They've done. I love it. I mean, the only thing I can kind of think of is uh, Hot Tub Time Machine, but that wasn't too raunchy. But that's Ron actually gets I the, like that that movie, was, yeah. the definition that of raunchy. Before, that came out before This is the End, though. Yeah, that's 2010. And then oh, is it really? About, try to think of one in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, it's pretty difficult. All right, right here. I want to get it to this real quick. Pelosi downplays. Disinvitation dis from Obama's birthday bash. Now, what this reads to me is she's pissed that maybe, me, maybe Nancy Pelosi's not going to get in on the next insider trading deals. And then, so if you're not able to make your money, can't keep up. You don't know, and all that inflation money is going somewhere, right? So they're like, all right, she's out. Uh, get, hopefully, Gavin Newsom loses. Maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why they're pushing her out. Although. I want to go on the record and say I used to think that Pelosi was actually Gavin Newsom's like direct aunt or yeah, direct aunt, but that's not the case. 
Yeah, they married in. Like, it's right? like a marry-in thing. But that still shows like two What was the deal? Wait, what families. happened? I thought like Gavin Newsom was getting like impeached. What happened to that? Well, it's not an impeachment, but it's a recall. They And they're in the process of it right now. Dude, they're one, that one YouTuber, is pl- uh, Kevin Paffrath, is polling like really hard right now, actually. Super hard. He's like a he's like a real estate uh, guy that I listen to on the daily. He can he can be really cheesy and and he's like a kind of like a Democrat like rah you know. But he he kind of sticks it out of politics. But he's a very like liberalish guy. But which is fine. But like um, you know he's like a little he's like really the only Democrat I would probably vote for. But I don't know. Um, yeah. So. So this, any comments on this? I just think Pelosi, maybe we'll see her out in a couple, not out, but what I mean is like slowly be phased out, which makes sense because, you know, the terms, elections are coming up. Maybe they don't, dude, I'm hearing some, I'm hearing some polling numbers, how Los Angeles is starting to trend, uh, you know, starting to trend back and back towards the middle, let's say. It's like, so. dude, how the fuck can people be cool with that? Like, with what? With what? Like, how could people in any way be happy with the past year and the way it's Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. I have no comment on uh, Los Angeles politics, dude. They're a bunch of, like, it's ridiculous. Yes, it is ridiculous. Dude, I mean, I'm in, the same boat. I'm, I'm in the same boat here in New York, too. I have, like, I have no comment on it. It's just, uh, we know what it is. Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was initially on the VIP list to show up at Obama's massive birthday bash, a gathering he has been criticized for essentially flaunting social distancing rules. Um, Democrat politicians expect of others. The typical rules for thee but not for me fashion, Obama and his party guests were captured on Instagram, dancing the night away in close proximity, with some of the guests giving no care to mask up or observe the six-foot rule. Pelosi have saved herself from some of the shame of being captured on video alongside Obama's celebrity guests and turned into social media fodder. But that doesn't mean she isn't bristling over the disinvitation from his party. As the Daily Mail, which is garbage, details, Pelosi was originally invited to Obama's 60th party on Saturday night, but was cut at the last minute when he reduced the size of the event. So he, he... So... Okay. Anyway, this is this actually sounds Dude. like bullshit. Anyway, so well, but, I mean, it could be bullshit, or it could be that you know it's a it's a it's a ritual ritual for them to just like yeah. phase, like you said, because like her time's up. Like she's gonna like how long does she have to live? You got she's the midterms coming up soon. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't win. I'm just saying. The reality <laughs> is, she can't be like super cocky about having it in the bag. There's no way. No she way. She has to at least be aware. I don't even. I don't even. I, I would assume her term is up, right? This has to be up. This this next midterm. I feel like she's yeah. been. Jesus, six years they get. Actually, does speak? Do speakers get six years or four years? I'm not sure. So not cool. speakers. Um, House representatives. Do they both? Is it just the Senate that gets six years, or is it the Senate and the House? Hmm. Should look that up. Somebody Google. But we're but gonna go. Too, she she got elected and like she's been climbing the ladder in a time when nobody had access to information, nobody could do background research on her, no one could look at her husband's stock portfolio. I mean, it's like there's so many things that like they just weren't calculating in 
when they were doing all this stuff for years. Yeah. And they can't stop doing a lot of it now. And yeah. Yeah. And um, I think also, too, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't have comments, actually. I just... I. I think she's she's like I, I think people are so sick of her, but I don't know. I wouldn't put it past Cal it past Californians to just be like I you know they'll just pick another equally as shitty Democrat and then somebody somebody up in the hierarchy. They oh this is what I was gonna say, which was uh yeah man I think that's one of the reasons why they fucking they really went after Trump because they're like and like the Republicans kind of didn't do it for the first couple years even though there were some pushbacks, but after the second after the midterm elections of the second year they fucking. They went after him. They nonstop, and they—it's um, because he wasn't a fucking senator. Like they're all senators before. They all do this. What you say? They all moved up the ranks, and then they get it. Uh, Obama was deals. one. Clinton. It's like Pelosi, not Pelosi. Um, Hillary. So. Well, I was just saying they all have inside deals. So regardless yeah. of what Trump, whoever, whatever outsider wanted to do, it's almost like you had a fucking. And gang of your buddies, you're all making crazy money, and then this other dude just shows up, and now he's trying to fucking get a piece of the thing. That it, it's just like you can look at it from like a human perspective, and like it's obviously the reaction that you would, we saw the reaction of what you do when you guard power, you know. Yeah, I mean, and the, you know what, dude? It's either that or it is like they're just fucking doing a bunch of coke and just drinking a shit ton. It's got hookers everywhere. And they just don't even talk about it at all. They're like, I don't just call my secretary on Monday. Like, I'm like, I'm here to fucking party, Rick. All right. I'm not really? here to talk about the oil deal. That's already been decided. This all right. Life. Give it to if that's real, they've created this lifestyle that just has blackmail built into it. So at any point, they can exactly. be like, oh, remember the time that you were making out with exactly. your secretary and fucking this party? Yes. Yeah, we all remember it. That's why We've they made... photos of it. When they say so-and-so made him delete the video, who made him delete the video? Who yeah, made him delete the video? Probably Secret Service. <laughs> Yeah, because it becomes then that's the whole crazy argument when you can start arguing for national. It's a national security problem. You can't expose it. Right. It's an embarrassment. Yeah. And who has like? And why are these pictures so shitty all the time? Like, there's always so shitty. We have. Yeah, and everyone's got HD fucking iPhones now. I mean, so how is the iPhone photo? So stupid. Ah, so stupid. Anyway, all right, we're gonna go. You over guys the, want to save the video? Yeah. For a little bit, and let's just get it. Let's get it going a little no, bit. No, no, no. What? What were you gonna say? I said you want to save the Yuri Vesmenov uh, video for a little bit later. Sure. Yeah. Let's just like. What do you want to talk let's about? Get out. Let's get um, it out, doggy. Let's talk, I want to talk more like vaccine shit, dude. Because okay. one of my favorite uh, YouTubers that's in like in the bodybuilding community just passed away. Mm. His name is uh, John Meadows, and last year he had. He had heart surgery because he had um, he basically had like blood clots in his system. And then finally he passed away today and they didn't really say what happened to him. He passed away in his sleep. But I suspect it's because he got the vaccine and the blood clots took over. Now, what I suspect is going to happen is that there are going to be a ton of people that are in public. just like, let's say, so to speak, that took the vaccine that have similar shit. Right. And they're going to start dropping like flies. Um, we should start, 
you know, what, whatever your, your niche is or what your algorithm looks like on YouTube, take, take notice of like, who's, who's, who's fucking going. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood for me, nobody so far, but uh, there was that video, right. Of the white coats convention. That's pretty quite the moving video. And also the video of that lady saying, yeah, like even if they were in hospice, if they got, if they died with an active COVID account, which we already know the PCR, I mean, they, they're doing autopsy, obviously. But, um, you know, if they died with COVID, then it was a COVID death. So, so there's a lot of lying is what I'm trying to say. Right? Yeah. At the very well, least, did, there's some lying. Go on, Def. Did anybody watch the Dr. Charles Hawk? Charles Hoff video that uh, to the moon linked in a live stream text chat. No, I'll pull that up right now too. How long is that? It we, is we, nine minutes and seventeen seconds. So where is that live right chat? This sounds right. very. This sounds more important than the Yuri. The Yuri one is pretty fucking good. We should definitely That's watch. That's fine. It. Uh, there's no rush. I can watch it. I'm not. I'm not. We, so this one goes into it. detail. Uh, he goes into <clears throat> why there may be these blood clots, and it's. Basically, right. I mean, if you guys want to watch the video, let's dive yeah, I'll pull it up right now. It's, it's only nine let's minutes. Let's do it. Relink it for me so I don't have to find it. It's down in live stream text chat. Oh, moon just fucking there it is. Okay, and give me again. What? Give me what it says exactly. Tell me what it. Tell me. Tell me what it talks about again. Uh, Sorry. So blood. blood with the vaccine okay yeah, yeah they, spike proteins. they're figuring out um what the vaccine is actually doing to people to cause these blood clots and he goes okay. and explains it okay let's see here okay so here's this all right this is a dr charles hoff do it this is the one good god I don't think this is this goes against YouTube rules. So what he's talking about about these blood clots, um, it kind of goes into uh, why people, partially why people have high blood pressure too. I mean, it's a pre-existing condition that everyone has. Is when the endothelium, the inner parts of your blood vessels, get damaged, your body tries to repair that, and I guess in capillaries, the effect is clotting with uh, platelets and all that, and that's where the clots are. But, I mean, it also works for any other damage. It's going to do that, and it's going to congest your arteries because there's always that buildup. All right, let's go. To a potential mechanism of action of the injury. And you mentioned to me the use of a D-dimer test, which we all know what it's for, but we're going to have to explain a little bit. Could you please speak to this a little bit and give the relevant context and introduction, please? Because I think this is really groundbreaking and important. Yes, yeah, thank you. So, so, so one of the, the key things that really bothered me when I started to see vac serious vaccine injuries in my own know, patients is that I had no idea what the mechanism of injury was and therefore as their doctor i had no idea how to treat it because you know Maybe. as their family know, doctor I know, I know. um i i need they would come to me for help and i needed to help them and i and i was clueless i mean this was this is an experiment um and, and i was aware that there was literally 
um, what we call iatrogenic disease, a medically induced disease being produced by this vaccine. And so, so I had asked this in my open letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer, what is the mechanism, mechanism of injury and how do I treat this as these people's doctor? And of course, nobody knew. And, and the vaccine manufacturers had told us that the, the, the COVID spike protein does not go intravenous. It stays in the arm. The antibodies um, to, the, to the spike protein are produced in the arm. Um, and that's what we had been found. But scientists now, and, and Dr. Brody has actually very clearly revealed this, that only 25% of the vaccine actually stays in the arm. And the rest of it, so these vaccines are, are, a, are a, a, a vast number of little messenger RNA strands. The Moderna vaccine has 40 trillion messenger RNA molecules per vaccine dose, 40 trillion. So, 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 so these are wrapped in a little lipid capsule. The lipid capsule is to enable them to be absorbed into the cells. So this is injected into the person's arm in their deltoid muscle of the shoulder. From there, as I mentioned, only 25% actually stays there. The rest is taken up, collected through the lymphatic system and fed into the general circulation. And so it circulates around the entire body. And, and I think every doctor knows that absorption from the, the circulation occurs in capillary networks because that's where the blood slows right down. It's going through tiny, tiny vessels so, so, so these little nanocapsules containing these trillions of, of messenger RNA um, molecules are absorbed into the lining around the capillaries, what medically we call the vascular endothelium. So, so these, little cap, these little packages are absorbed into the, the, the cells around the vessels, the, the packages open, the, the body recognizes these messenger RNA strands um, as as a gene and gets to work making COVID spike proteins. So in a virus, those COVID spike proteins form part of the viral capsule. But the problem is they're not in a virus. They're in, they're in the cells around blood vessels. So as a result, they become part of the cell wall of that cell. So normally the cells that surround your blood vessels have to be very, very smooth to enable good and, 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 and unimpeded flow of blood. But as soon as you've got all these little spike proteins that become part of the, the cell wall, it's now a rough surface. It's gonna be like a very coarse sandpaper. It's, it's now what the platelets are gonna interpret, interpret as a damaged vessel. It's, it's no longer smooth, it's rough. So clotting is inevitable because the platelets that come down that vessel are going to hit a rough spot and assume this must be a damaged vessel. This vessel needs to be blocked to stop the bleeding. That's how our clotting works. So, 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 so clots are, according because of this and because of the nature of this, clots are inevitable because of these um, these spike proteins in the capillary networks. So I set out to then try and prove this. Could this theory be correct? And, and so the problem is these little clots in the capillary networks are microscopic and they are scattered. So they're not gonna show on any scan. They're just too small and too scattered. It's not like the big clots that cause strokes or heart attacks. 
Um, they're too small and they're too scattered. So how on earth can we know if the person clotted? And the only way is with a blood test called a D-dimer. So the D-dimer is a blood test that, is, that will show up a recent clot. It won't show up an old clot, it shows up a new clot. And it doesn't tell you where the clot is, it just tells you that the clotting mechanism has been activated. So I have now been uh, recruiting patients from my practice, people that have come into my office and others that have, that have heard me speak about this and have asked people to do this D-dimer within one week of their COVID shot. And so far, and this study is ongoing, these are preliminary results, so far I've got 62% positive elevated D-dimer, which means that the blood clots are not rare. That's what the, 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 the so-called experts keep telling us, the clots are rare, the big ones are rare, but the small ones are clearly happening in the majority of people, 62%. Now, I'll tell you what the, the real the concern with this is, is that a clotted vessel is permanently damaged. That vessel never, ever goes back to normal. So if this theory is correct, which it really looks like by these D-dimer results, and I'm told it has been done in Australia and it's been done in the UK, and they also found elevated D-dimers. Um, and they, they, they sort of discarded the information because they said there's no clinical evidence of clots. Well, the clinical the, the reason is because they're microscopic and they're scattered. And so you're not gonna see clinical evidence. But, but, but in fact, all of the frequent side effects of, of the of the shot, which are headache, nausea, dizziness, fatigue, could all be signs of cerebral thrombosis on a, on a, on a capillary level. I mean, those literally, you could be having thousands and thousands of tiny, tiny little clots in your brain that won't show on a scan, but they will give you those exact symptoms. So, so the concern is I have now got six people in my medical practice that, that cannot tough. exert themselves the way they used to be. What, what medically we call reduced effort tolerance. Six people who, who now get out of breath doing things that they could previously do without any problem. So I believe that these people blocked up thousands and thousands of capillaries in their lungs in these six people. So I believe these people now have permanently damaged lungs because they have got I mean, and that's why they get out of breath. I have one fellow that used to walk two miles to my office every week for a, a shot for his arthritis. And he says after a quarter of a mile, he is done. In other words, his effort tolerance is reduced to one eighth of what it used to be. And, and so I've sent some of these people for chest x-rays and, and CT scans to see what it shows. And all it shows is, is distorted architecture. The, the, what the radiologists re, re, record is, it, it describe as increased reticulation. It's a very non-specific thing. And it's because it's microscopic. It, it's just, but, but, but the concern is because these vessels are now permanently damaged in a person's lungs, when the heart tries to, the heart tries to pump blood through all those damaged vessels, there's increased resistance trying to pump the blood through those lungs. So those people are going to develop something called pulmonary artery hypertension, high blood pressure in their lungs. And the concern with that is that those people will probably all develop right-sided heart failure within three years and die because they now have increased vascular resistance through their lungs and, and, and lung tissue and heart tissue 
and brain and spinal tissue and all of that does not regenerate. In other tissues, it can regenerate liver and kidneys and muscle and other, but there are some tissues that cannot. And, and, and so this, is, this absolutely explains what I've seen in my patients and that's what I'm doing to prove it and my study is ongoing. All right. Um, of course, I have that video before it gets taken down. Of course, um, no, nah, I don't think it'll get taken down. Oh, you don't think so? No, I don't. But I mean, what? How? Somebody? Well, we have. Well, wait, anyway. Um, talk to your doctor. That's all I can say, right? Hopefully, your doctor's not a shill either. So that's all I can say. It's crazy shit, doggy. I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah, so, I think there's a plethora now of just professionals that'll come out and say in their own practice they've seen the the effects of not paying attention and doing thorough research and trials and all that. Because they're basically going to be the ones dealing with, like, look at the people that are going to have to deal with the damage from this. You know. So. I think we can immune more, system where I'm more, more apparent. Bro, here's the thing, too. If it's like, if it's supposed to mask the symptoms, doesn't that mean you're more dangerous because you don't know that you have it, so you can't, you can't um, adequately act responsibly, so you hide the, you hide the symptoms and then you go out and transmit it, because we already know that it can be transmitted, right? Is that incorrect? And also that you can get it, so, I mean... You can definitely make a strong argument for that. So... Just saying, I don't know. I've never gotten yeah, smallpox before, too. so I don't know. People who got the vaccine, now they're being told, oh, you have still have to wear a mask. You basically have the same rights as people who don't. All the shit, like, so I'm just saying, it's like, they Somebody... didn't pull this off well enough to get those people even convinced. Because even those people are now doubting the legitimacy of the paranoia. We should make a shirt that says, um, make COVID small, no, make COVID the chicken pox. Or something like that. No, no, but there's definitely something to that because those people that got treat the COVID vaccine, like the chicken pox. Those people that got the and vaccine, then just like a bunch of kids playing with each other with red spots. They have like that sunk cost fallacy is that they feel like they did the right thing, right? So even if more evidence continues to show that they didn't, they're going to double down and say it's your fault, people that didn't get the vaccine. Why like, this is no, happening? Not not normal people, like the people that I feel like have to save their ass because of this are the ones promoting that narrative. So, no, you know, no, because no, you, we're not, you're not taking into account the deep psychological thing that this is, that this is doing to people, right? People who took the vaccine openly and freely because they thought it was going to help, right? And then when, when they start seeing that it actually is not true, you know, no one likes to be lied to, right? And no one likes to be That's fooled. True. But one thing that don't, is a lot but, more. But hold on. A lot. But, one thing that a lot of people don't like to be like to do either is admit that they were wrong. What's what yeah. the Twain trope, quote? Uh, or Mark Twain quote. It's easier to convince someone of I'm. I right. No, I, quote. I know the quote you're talking about. It's it's easier to um, convince someone that they were. Uh, hold on. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's a great quote. Well, I think, too, that there's a lot more people that took the vaccine. Here it is. They literally just go along with shit 
they necessarily weren't really into the idea either. It's easier it to about, fool people yeah. than to convince them that they have been fooled. Yep. Ba boom. So that's the one. Yeah, go talk to your doctor. I mean, hopefully your doctor again is not a shill. Yeah, and, and also not, sets off. The- and as Jim Brewer said, isn't committing malpractice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we um, haven't heard that in a while. Dude, it, it sets off the um, the crab in the battle, uh, crab in the barrel mentality in these fucking sheep, dude. And that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see a lot of these motherfuckers that are gonna double down on people who didn't take the vax, and we're gonna see some real fascism in the country soon, stateside. Oh yeah, everybody needs a scapegoat. That story is all this time. And I just and wanna... the toughest thing is like the, the people in in our families that took the fucking vaccine. That's going to be the toughest thing to deal with too. Wait, I mean, like, do you guys have anybody in your family that took it that doesn't care one way or the other about everyone else though? So I really feel like there's a lot more people in that camp. I mean, I think I think literally only one person in my family didn't take the vaccine. Everyone are they all on your ass about it? Um, hmm. see, no, I, I, they're not getting on my ass about it because you know, number one, we don't like to put strife on the family dynamic when we get together. We just want to like hang out, do fun shit, but. Hmm. Unfortunately, am I Ghislaine Maxwell? Probe reveals Cuomo aide Melissa DeRosa's heated call with journalism. Somebody posted this in the uh, Discord channel. Let's see what this is. Woman, Dr. Ramy. wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and starts emailing people and calling people and doing work and was the architect behind the fifteen-dollar minimum wage and paid family leave and college tuition and a lot of other things, but was also recently pilloried in the New York magazine for not being nice to someone in the bathroom. Is it bad or good that I said hello to somebody on the way into a, a common door that she worked in that I worked in? I don't think it's, it, I don't think the, the context. Am I coming off? Let me, let me ask you a different way. Am I just blame Maxwell in this situation because she walked in and I said hello? Because I just want to make sure that next time I don't look at anyone in the eye and then when Rebecca Tracer accuses me of being mean to someone in the bathroom and then the Daily Mail has pictures of me having dinner with the governor where he's not touching my leg, but they're saying he's touching my leg 12 days after my wedding, that I understand exactly where I stand in all of this. Okay. That, was, uh, that sounded saucy. If she's Glenn Maxwell, does that make Governor Cuomo Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's like a really weird... Cuomo's top aide, Melissa DeRosa, sarcastically likened herself to the alleged accomplice of the late notorious pedophile during a heat. Oh, maybe that like she's helping him get she bitches. Was complicit. No, no, yeah. no. Like, like, yeah, she was kind of like helping him get, you know, helping him get girls. But who's Ugh. doing? Re- who's doing the recording? Like this. Is- I get I get so suspicious of like yeah. recordings of phone calls, and it's a minute of who knows how long the conversation yeah, is too. Yeah, context. taken taken out of context, yeah. leaked to the press. Like fuck off. 
that's like all the news nowadays too it's like it's all no contact yeah it's so very so, you it's put it very together, salacious, you know? this is this is the cuomo machine that the money that he pays into whatever marketing advertising pr whoever gets that money is where this comes from pr people are the worst remember that shit last night from rocco so your posts used to be dope but they're they're just another arm yeah new york post they're the ones who dropped the uh hunter thing right and got yeah. banned from facebook wow how crazy is that fuck man that shit went nowhere but whatever i mean this is it seems like a nothing like what's, burger what's the worst that can fucking happen to cuomo it's not like he's going to jail no i would agree he's, he's probably he's not gonna go to jail this nipple ring freak <laughs> What else we got here? U.S. judge tells lawyers in Ghislaine Maxwell case to watch the... Let's see here. This is from Frog. U.S. judge tells lawyers in Ghislaine Maxwell case to watch what they say. All right, well, they say that all the time. Um, U.S. judge overseeing Ghislaine Maxwell's criminal case on Friday admonished lawyers not to make make out-of-court statements that could taint the British... Socialites upcoming sex trafficking trial. U.S. District Judge Allison. Maybe that's the reason why Trump was like, "I hope she, I wish her well." And that's all he said about her. Uh, District Judge Allison Nathan in Manhattan ruled a month after Ghislaine Maxwell. Lawyer David Marcus said the overturning of actor Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction justified ending Maxwell's prosecution. And what did we say? We said for sure, one hundred percent. That this was pre- they they fucking they they created precedent with Cosby just yeah. to get Ghislaine Maxwell off. And you know what, dude? Even if she gets convicted, she's gonna get convicted of like some bullshit garbage fucking um, charges. It's gonna be like something she's gonna be out in five years, dude. It's so stupid. It's this is all theater too. 59 I mean, was pleaded not guilty to eight charges and faces up to 80 years in prison if convicted. Yeah, right. All right, go on. What were you going to say? No, I'm just saying she just has, she just knows way too much. That's why we've never seen a picture of her um, in custody. This is, this is all just a show. And if she is in custody, she probably looks completely different now. She probably has facial reconstructive surgery. So yeah, who's this lady like they took? As well. This lady that that drew her face. Let me see if I can find the picture of it here. Look at this. Doesn't that it's doesn't fucking, that look like? Doesn't she look like the fucking um, the main like the main Mexican boss in the wheelchair from uh, Breaking Bad? Yeah, they made him look like, not look like her. I just think it's just really laughable at this point, you know, based on like what we know about Epstein and who who he was in contact with, and. This lady doesn't look anything like Glenn Maxwell. <laughs> no. Jesus. She looks like a very, like, Hispanic version. Yeah, remember, totally. Remember there was a picture yes. of her with a black eye a couple months oh, ago? Oh, sure. Yeah, she sure. looks like a... I mean, yeah, I don't know. Very chiseled. Let me see if I can out find in Southern that California, out in the sun. Jizzling. The judge also said any lawyers in Maxwell's case, including prosecutors, could be disciplined for violating the court rules. Well, I mean, this is good. This is this, this is this means that the judge is taking it seriously. But I think that you know, all too often, judges are paid off. So I don't believe any of it. It's all kangaroo court. A lot of it is, at least. 
That's how we. That's why Soros made sure to get down into the uh, into the local level because if you just keep everything at the local level, nobody in government. It's all. It's all. Uh, what do they say? Plausible deniability. You know, the the lower you can keep the corruption, uh, the better. The 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 quieter you can keep it. The quieter you can keep it. You know what I mean? Not keep. keep the, like the quieter it stays. Yeah, I don't know. Compartmentalization. Compartmentalization. Yep. That's the word I was looking for right there, big guy. Thank you. My God. And you God. create an incentivized system for everyone to just not ask questions on the lowest level. Exactly. Awesome. They get taken care of to their fullest extent, and they don't care past that. Right. As long as they're driving their Mercedes Benz, they they got their 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 beach houses in the Hamptons. Yeah, it comes down to everyone's got a price. And then, like, it's like, what's the purpose of setting up a system where most people are economically indebted or, like, underbanked beyond belief? And so you've got such a low standard. So, like, what's the price? So what can I give you to ignore it all? What, I mean, at what point, at that point, you could eat, like, the number just comes down further and further to what you need to give someone to get them to ignore everything. If they know what the baseline is. Amazon shuts down. This is posted by Nosferatu. Um, Nosferatu. Amazon shuts down NSO Group Infrastructure Vice Pegasus. Amazon shuts down. NSO is that Group. older or is that new? Pegasus is probably the old version. You know, they have a new version now called you know, fucking Hercules. Um, Amazon Web Services has shut down infrastructure and accounts linked to Israeli surveillance vendor NSO Group. Amazon said in a statement, the move comes as the group of media outlets and activist organizations published new research into NSO's malware and phone numbers potentially selected for targeting by NSO's government uh, clients. When we learned from this activity, we acted quickly to shut down the relevant infrastructure and accounts. An AWS spokesperson told Motherboard in an email, Amnesty International published a forensic investigation on Sunday. That, among other things, determined that NSO customers have had access to zero-day ac- uh, attacks in Apple's iMessage in recent, uh, as recent as this year. As part of the research, Amnesty wrote that a phone infected with NSO's Pegasus malware sent information to a service fronted by Amazon CloudFront, s- suggesting NSO Group has switched to using AWS services in recent months. See? When it fucking affects them, they jump. Those fucking pussy ass cocksuckers, right? Dude, not only that, but it, it happened immediately. Hold on. Like, what you exactly say, frog? does hold that on, mean? Hold on. What is Can someone that? explain that? What does that say, Frog? What'd you say? The Amazon shut down those. The only person that broke that story initially was the Guardian, but they angled it towards like Mexican politicians. Like a lot of them got spied on, like over 15,000 of them. Oh. WikiLeaks then broke out a tweet saying Amazon broke off the deal with NSO and quickly Amazon scrubbed all of their servers. They shut down all all of them and they canceled their contract. Yeah, I wonder if that has anything to do with Bro. the fact that everyone was getting spied NSO, NSO was basically like you can pay them and they would look into anybody that you wanted. You could look yeah. into their phone, their social media accounts, everything. Dude. Yeah, so I... I posted this thing real quick about the Jedi cloud contract. So like following this, now they cancel the cloud contract with Microsoft and Amazon's the lead competitor vying for that. 
which is arguably a way bigger scale. Like what this is would just be a small piece of that. When you mentioned Mexican politicians, I remembered a story from January. 49 officials had been killed during the elections and during this in the last like year or something like that. The number is up to 88 politicians have been killed Dude, in Mexico way? since September. What better way than to keep track of their GPS? Everybody carries yeah. them Yeah, easy to just poo-poo. Wow, dude, holy shit. But that's such a fucking pussy-ass shit. Like, you're only gonna fucking close them out when it affects your goddamn business, huh? You're not gonna do anything. Like, don't tell me you found out from this fucking report that came out. Justice Department says Russian hacks federal prosecutors. All right, don't fucking tell me that's when you found out. You knew. You didn't care, right? That's what I think. That's some fucked shit. You knew. You knew all about it. (laughs) That's a good... Who's that supposed to be? You remember uh, the Jewish dad from Independence Day? Oh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What? Oh, my boy David here. He he, he, he wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for him. What? You don't think they paid $25,000 for a hammer? $30,000 for a toilet now, do you? You knew. You all knew. Come on, Mr. President. Hey, okay, pull up that article after. You'd all be dead if it wasn't for my son, David. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, which one am I looking up now? Uh, I'm in live stream chat. Live stream chat? I'm in it right now. Oh, here. Diamond heads, we're going to need to fucking... uh, Sound, uh, soundboard that <laughs> you'd all be dead if it wasn't for my son David. So I was thinking it was like, I'm saying. Yeah. Pentagon cancels ten billion dollar Jedi contract challenged by Amazon, ending long contested cloud computing deal. Cloud contested. Read into this. The Pentagon scuttled its massive cloud computing contract on Tuesday, opting to restart a process Microsoft won twice rather than it be drawn. Rather than be drawn any further into years-long legal drama with Amazon that had no end in sight. In canceling and replacing the 10-year, $10 billion contract, the Defense Department will move away from the winner-take-all guidelines that drew protests from such rivals as Oracle and IBM as early as 2018. Before the bids were due, a new contract will be started from scratch on which both Amazon and Microsoft can bid. I said that backwards. The reversal ends a torturous legal battle over 2019 contract over the 2019 contract replete the allegations of interference by President Donald Trump, of course. Uh, Amazon alleged that he improperly influenced the outcome of the re- uh, retail retail light against its founder Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post. <laughs> this art this the company I'm reading this from. The move also marks a significant setback for the U.S. military, though it leads the world in weapons development, surveillance technology, and the like. It has long it has long lagged the private sector in the computing realm. The result is that innovations built on cloud computing, available in the smallest business or anyone with a smartphone, it's like a fucking ad that they put in there, are not being fully realized by an institution that spends more than seven hundred billion a year in taxpayer funding to ensure it has the most advanced capabilities in the world. The troop as the troops aspect, excuse me, the troops expect to have information at their fingertips and the information comes through the cloud. 
So they are missing out on what everyday Americans have access to, said Arnold, this person, a retired Marine Corps general and, and Democratic Senate staffer. Oh, of course. Who works as an industry consultant? Oh, who would have thought that the Democrats would be a corporatist? And who would have thought yeah, the fucking book? Yeah. Um, this, this article is kind of dry. I realized. That's I okay. Well, I'm also reading. One. I'm an idiot when I read aloud. So we've been waiting know, around because of the bureaucratic proce- uh, procurement process, which, in my view, was flawed from the out- outset. So we're going to see what's going to... Okay, former defense officials, including Senator Jim Mattis, then Senator, excuse me, then Secretary Jim Mattis, build the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, JEDI, as a way to simplify the Pentagon's numerous stovepiped information system and help the U.S. win an artificial intelligence arms race with China. Okay. They insisted on giving the contracts to just one company despite concerns that such an approach might create a kind of monopoly. Who'd have thought? They bet, yeah, well, you're only going to give $10 billion to one fucking company? Why, so this dickhead can fly a fucking cock into space? The Pentagon's decision to award the contract to Microsoft in 2019 came as a surprise given Amazon's technology dominance in cloud computing. It remains the market leader, and by a long shot. It's the only company that allowed to hold up, to hold top secret data. And also, I'm sure Bill Gates has back ends to everything. <laughs> or somebody does. Also, funny just to note that this is on the Washington Post, like you said before, which is exactly by Jeff Bezos. Exactly. <laughs> Allowed to hold top secret data, a Microsoft spokesman said that the company is working to attain similar clearance. At the time Microsoft won the award, every competitor except Amazon had criticized the government's single award approach. Oracle alleged that the web of unsavory relations involving Amazon and the Defense Department gave the company an unfair advantage. That bid protest is currently under appeal and oracle seeks to bring to bring it to the supreme court now this is beautiful because yeah what does amazon have the ability to do basically everything runs off of amazon servers a lot of it so they have so much more information that like they in order to get to the people they have to go through amazon so it's like the second great filter that they can they can probably just do whatever the fucking they want because it's it's all private right yeah, they had the ultimate backdoor by oh, owning man. everyone's server. Oh, man. They probably own most of Microsoft servers, too. Yeah. Oh, man. And I'm sure Microsoft them. has their own shit, too. I mean, I'm sure of it. But. Real quick, too. Be, you can keep reading this one, but I posted another article about what this Jedi contract really is. Or a GeekWire version of what it is. It goes okay. more into like what it, they're actually funding with it. But this is back when Microsoft won it originally. And they're yeah, talking the rest, about it. The rest of this seems like it's more like... Oh, Trump, the, the back door, like, uh, the, not back door, the, um, how Trump helped Amazon get the, whatever, even though it's yeah, the Democrats is- that are all pushing for Amazon all the time. The cocksucker. All right. Let me see here. The article was pretty boring. Except for the fact that yeah, this one, GeekWire. The second one, GeekWire one. Okay. Yeah. This from 20, 2019. But it goes into depth more about what it actually is and what Microsoft was hired to do at the time. Okay, but first. They agree we must launch a counteroffensive with a full nuclear strike. Over American soil. We don't strike soon enough. Answer. My God. The Vice President. Joint Chiefs. Mr. President. 
to evacuate the city. No, no, you're not going to launch nuclear weapons. You're going to kill them and us at the same time. If we fire nukes, sure. then everybody else who's got to remind you, you, that you know, that means fallout. Your, your nuclear winter, it's the end of life as we know it. Do you hear what they're talking about? Don't even think about it. I don't have to go. It can't be allowed. Get him out of here. Hey, don't tell him to shut up. You'd all be dead now if it wasn't my David. Yeah. There's nothing we could do. Ah. Uh, it was what in the 1950s or whatever. You you had that uh, spaceship. That. Yeah, that thing that you found in New Mexico. That. The thing you found in New Mexico. Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. No, you had the spaceship. That thing you found. They were all locked up in a in a bunker. Where was that? David. Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then, and you did nothing. You knew then. All right. Uh, you gotta put that in the intro. Right here, look. You'd be dead if it wasn't for our David, sir. That's not entirely accurate. What? Which part? Yeah, dude. Thank you for indulging. Yeah, that's great. I love that. All right, here we go. <laughs> what is Jedi explaining to ten billion dollar military cloud contact contract? That Microsoft just won over Amazon. And you know what, dude? Let's not rush to put everything in the cloud. I guess it's the next tech. Yeah, that's a good I guess, idea, too. I mean, it's the next, I guess it's the next gen tech, but um, whatever. Storage is cheap. Well, that's what, that's what McAfee said, too. Just don't know Storage where it's fucking cheap. going, man. Con well, yeah, that's why you got to make your own cloud. Uh, questions about the Pentagon's Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Jedi contract have been swirling since news broke late Friday that Microsoft has won the 10-year agreement to build the U.S. government's war cloud. How did Microsoft secure a $10 billion project with Amazon as long seen as the front runner? The role did, what role did politics play? How will, the, how will the Microsoft workers already apprehensive about their employer's government work respond? Another big question, how will Amazon respond? The company hasn't said whether or not it will appeal DOD's decision, but a source familiar with the situation told GeekWire that Amazon's evaluating its options. But to grasp the larger implications, it's important to first understand what Jedi is. Jedi's mission is started in 2017. Visit the West Coast, which includes visit to the West Coast, which includes stops at Amazon. Okay, hold on. Here. That's probably a link to Amazon. Okay. Oh no. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, although, okay, Amazon, uh, and other prominent tech companies after the trip, then defense secretary, James Mattis ordered department of defense officials to prepare a plan to modernize the department's tech infrastructure. In early 2018, the Pentagon released its proposal, a 10 year, $10 billion endeavor to modernize the military's it operations. Maybe Trump just like wanted to get into office so he could like over have oversight over this fucking deal. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm thinking too? Real quick, what about the fuck that, you know, Bill Gates was so popular, or he got so much press during COVID when he stepped down and all this, he got so much attention. He was basically put, put in the front. And it's almost like, you think it has something to do with the fact that Microsoft was involved with this deal? Yeah, I'm sure. And politically, sure. they, they got the deal, even though they had no clearances. And Amazon was clearly the better contractor for the deal. That's what everybody was saying. So it didn't make any sense that like, was it politics or whatever. That why would Microsoft get that deal? 
So maybe Trump gave him that deal. And then he's like, well, since you're a part of that, you should fucking be the face of uh, health and tech or whatever. Seeing Amazon also, to add on that, like seeing Amazon also try to take on space too, right? Like they're trying to beat Elon Musk out of that contract. In the cloud. Trying to beat the cloud in the cloud, yep. The Department of Defense. The Department of Defense lack of the coordinated enterprise level approach to cloud infrastructure and platforms prevents war fighters and leaders from making critical data-driven decisions at mission speed, negatively affecting outcomes. Yeah, just that's exactly what we need. That's, like signal. Yeah, that's not always signal. We already have that. Fucking return. I know. I know. Um. They're trying to like, they're trying to make it commercialize it. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it sound safe. They're trying to make it sound like, oh, well, this isn't for like, you know, next generation drone armies or anything crazy. This is just, you know, we need data in the real time. It's what everybody's already been familiar with data, IT. Like, so, like the public is familiar with that. What do you think this leads to then? Like, what it, I, like this jargon is like foreign to me. So I don't understand it quite as well as what this basically some of you guys is. Are here. is they're trying to create a next level fucking um, I, like war mind, basically, like with artificial intelligence, the internet mm. of things, the military. There's gonna be there's like a whole military internet of things, or it's the internet of something. It's something else. I hate that term, but, the internet of things. Well, well, I mean, what, the what, is what's different about what we what they're doing already, though? What's different? Who's hosting um, it? The, the difference here is, is like this, this is, is Skynet. In short, this is Skynet. So this is both of them now, or it's just one? Are they so both this is artificial intelligence? Yeah, this has all to do with artificial intelligence, data, internet of things. You can just be like, you have to just use your imagination a little bit, but they're being very vanilla about what they're saying. This yeah. is oh, for. it's the cloud. It's the cloud yeah, for your cloud. The, the, a better way to think about it is like, think of all of our internet infrastructure and all of our cell phone structure. Now, incorporate that into a cloud but because you know they're upgrading the financial system they're upgrading the internet system they're they're putting everything and making it into a whole new system so you know that's why all of us are great reset they're going to shut one down and turn on the other one and it's going to pick up right off from there i think if they do it right it's no most people aren't even going to notice they shut anything off and that's the creepy thing about it and the reality is, it's like, you really think they're going to roll out all this stuff that's going to involve such a vast or like a way more like online cataloging database and cross-correlation of data? Do you think they're going to just roll all that out if they didn't have like, like techniques, machines, AI, whatever, to effectively sort through all that shit and do something with it? True. I mean, I feel like that's the creepy thing is once they get one of these quantum computers, they'll be able to basically like figure out who you are in a millisecond. They won't have to slow drip phase. Like there is no slow drip phase in at that point, really. Well, it's that other creepy thing that if you have enough data, can you predict the future? Like, can you predict what people are going to do weeks ahead of time? Now you're talking minority report. Fuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already had that tech. They 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 had that technology at police stations in Chicago, and it was pretty similar. It was like up to it was eerily close to the minority report. Days in advance, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I think they really just went quiet on that because, again, they have a way to do that, and it might be as simple as if you have the right algorithm and the right data, you can figure out what people and 
they're gonna do because because we're all like us maybe not so much but like there's a lot of people that are way more predictable like we're also predictable we're more predictable than we want to think because that takes away like our human experience but like if you can predict it if you know for example like just through data like oh this person wakes up at 7 a.m they go to work monday through friday they're at this location from you know eight to four one at four they stop at this convenience store they drive this route same route every time their phone's on they have their phone on them right so then at that point it's like you you are once you, you now you know someone's schedule can you take a supercomputer and take all that data and basically predict what they're going to do next year you know cause that, that's where it gets kind of weird but yeah, I think that's basically where this endgame goes. It's like they want to build uh, super intelligent AI to manage all these systems. This and they just, might already have it. This reminds me of that one time it. like Trump was fighting for that deal with the 5G, and he said, oh, we even want 6G. <laughs> and that 7G. Just... And 8G. That's the other thing about 5G, that we don't hear that much, but 5G, they were using it in the military, military for a while for communications, surveillance. And it's one of those things that it becomes useful in that Internet of Things environment when you need to transfer high high a lot of data and secure connection instantly. So you need certain wavelengths to do that. And so there's a good argument that like that's what this whole thing is more about, setting up the infrastructure for all that stuff. You know, you don't really hear that side of it. Yeah, I remember the conspiracy I heard was mainly about uh, they needed... Um, they needed an infrastructure that was fast enough to run an AI parallel to it. Yeah. And other things, like if you like you, you think Amazon too, like just in general, they have a huge interest in this whole thing panning out because they want you know, drone delivery services and they want to be able to just have automated warehouses and shit. So it's like, this is all technology they want to see in the public because then they can start sending like fleets of drones around cities and have automated delivery fleets. And I think we would need something like that to pull that off. Yeah, and <clears throat> to go along with the Internet of Things, like right now, it doesn't seem like we have a lot. I mean, like you have your fridge, maybe a thermostat or whatever, but there's not so much out in the streets yet. But they are working on that, and they are working on the infrastructure, like this part of the 5G, but there's other technologies. They'll have sensors everywhere. They're talking like manhole covers at the street light, whatever, or at the stop sign, whatever. Like there'll be so much more sensors, and they're going to have to transmit all that data and then process that and interpret it. They're already doing it in Europe with smart dust in the like the food packaging. That's another really creepy thing people used to get hit to. Smart dust, they could spray from planes and they could literally set up a mesh net and track people or anything it lands on and it's uh, smaller than pollen. You, can, you won't see it. All right, what about this? Senators launch effort to expand federal bench from by 77 judges. So instead of trying to pack the court, the Supreme Court, they're like, yeah, you know what, let's just pack the lower courts. What does this fall into? Exactly what I was just mentioning about George Soros. When you keep it, when you keep the corruption at a lower level and it never gets up there, they can't ever fuck with you, you know? 
But the whole thing no, is too, dude. That Sorry. We're still looking at all these politicians at the high levels, or maybe not us, but other people thinking like those people are the ones pulling strings at all. Like that's the smoke show to begin with. Uh, yeah, know, it's also like, for payoffs too. Get a nice cushy federal yeah. job. It's a way for you to siphon fucking two, three hundred thousand dollars to your people. Bada bing, bada boom. Well, you know who? Oh, this is good because I'm obviously if you're following crypto, you might be hit to this. But Janet Yellen is now being accused of some serious corruption, right? Because she's over there. They're passing some crazy. They tried to pass some last minute amendment in the infrastructure bill that would basically tax the shit out of crypto people and gave like oh yeah no discretion so that they could hit miners and basically to anybody percent yeah crazy taxes. And Janet Yellen, right, was one of those fucking people that would have voted for that. And people are coming out now and saying, well, what the fuck, dude? She literally got $7 million in the past year for speaking for banks on Zoom. Yeah. Her salary for the government is only 200 and something thousand. Only? So how only? The fuck? Only? I know. Listen, what I'm saying, how can you make a serious Mockery. argument that she's incentivized not to work for the private interest versus, I mean, it's just like, that's basic fucking math. And when you, when you see a mainstream article like that, I feel like... You gotta get money out of politics. But then, yeah, all, right. then the cor we, corporations are gonna own them. <laughs> I think we've, we've gone they already do. full circle. Let's, let's hit Yuri now and see, let's see if anything oh, ties true. together. Yeah, hit up. Okay. Yeah, this is gonna be what fun. time is this it? Will be, this I, will be yeah, cool. this, we'll, go, we'll go with Yuri for a little bit, but you know, I'm gonna, probably going to call it pretty well, how soon. Long? It's, it's I think it's an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, shit. One, I think? But it's okay. We can go for a while. That's okay. I don't know. It's okay. We can go for a while, but we'll go for a while. So don't don't worry about it. We're good. Okay. So let's find Yuri now. This will be fun. I'll kind of like skip to like a you know. Let's see. Um, check the comment section. Maybe maybe some uh young Christian warrior did some timestamps. It's like literally the last minute. Timestamps to the last minute here. This is a good one. Okay. I mean, right. the whole thing is pretty good is, from what I remember, but yeah, it's yeah, you want to watch? We want to watch the whole thing, or at least the yeah. Chunk of I it. have. It's just I haven't seen it in, in so, such a long time. All right, we'll start it off. Did Moscow, and he'll tell us say that and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. You want to hit the he auto generated had an career oh. with Novosti which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. One of his interesting assignments was to brainwash foreign diplomats when they visited Moscow. And he'll tell us a little bit about how they did this and how they planted information which eventually wound up in the press of the free world. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Mr. Besmianov, I'd like to begin by having you tell us a little bit about some of your childhood memories. Well, the most vivid memory of my childhood was Second World War, or to be more precise, the end of the Second World War when all of a sudden United States from a friendly uh, nation which helped us to defeat Nazism turned overnight into a, a deadly enemy and it was very shocking because 
uh, all newspapers were trying to present an image of belligerent, aggressive American imperialism. Most of the things that we were taught is that the United States is aggressive power, which is just about to invade our beautiful free socialist country, uh, that American CIA is dropping Colorado beetles on our beautiful potato fields to eliminate our crops. And each schoolboy had a, a picture of Colorado bug on the, on the back page of his notebook. And we were instructed to go into collective fields to search for those little Colorado bugs. Of course, we couldn't find any. Neither we could find ma many potatoes. And that was explained again by the encroachments of the decadent imperialist power. Um, the anti-American paranoia, hysteria in, in the Soviet propaganda was to such an, uh, of such a higher degree that many less skeptical people or less stubborn would really believe that the United States is just about to invade our beautiful motherland and some secretly hope that it will come true. That's interesting. Yes. Well, getting back to uh, life inside the Soviet Union or inside communist countries in general, in this country, uh, at the university level primarily, we read and hear that uh, the Soviet system is different from ours, but not that different, and that there is a convergence uh, developing between all of the systems of the world, and that really it doesn't make an awful lot of difference what system you live under because you have corruption and dishonesty and tyranny and all that sort of thing. From your personal experience, what is the difference between life under communism and life in the United States? Well, life is obviously very much different for the simple reason that uh, the Soviet Union is a state capitalist economically. It's a state capitalism where an individual has absolutely no rights, no value. His life is nothing. It's just like an insect. He's disposable. Whereby in the United States, even the, the, even the worst criminal is treated as a human being. He has a fair trial. And some of them capitalize on their crimes. They, they publish their memoirs in their prisons and uh, get handsomely paid by your crazy publishers. Uh, the uh, differences, of course, in the daily life are very various uh, depending on who whom we are talking about. In my own private life, I never suffered from communism simply because I was brought up in a family of high-ranking military officer. Uh, most of the doors were open for me. Most of my expenses were paid by the government. And I never had any troubles in, with the authorities or, or with the police. So, in other words, I, I would say I, I enjoyed, or I had good reasons to enjoy, all the advantages of so-called socialist uh, system. Mm -hmm. My main uh, motivations to defect was, had nothing to do with affluence. It was mainly moral indignation, moral protest, rebellion against the inhuman methods of, of the Soviet system. Well, specifically, what did you object to? I objected, first of all, against oppression of my own dissidents and intellectuals. And that was the most disgusting thing that, that I witnessed as a, as a young man, young student, who was brought up a very troublesome period in our history, from Stalin to Khrushchev, from total tyranny and oppression to some kind of liberalization. Second, when I started working for the Soviet embassy in India, I, to my horror, I discovered that we are 
millions times more oppressive than any colonial or imperialist power in the history of mankind that my country brings to India not freedom, progress, and, and friendship between the nations, but uh, racism, exploitation, and slavery, and, and, and of course economical inefficiency to this country. Since I fell in love with India, uh, I developed something which by KGB standards is an extremely dangerous thing. It's called split loyalty, when an agent likes a country of assignment more than his own country. I literally fell in love with this beautiful country, a country of great contrasts, but also great humility, great tolerance and, and philosophical and intellectual freedoms. My ancestors used to live in caves and eat raw meat when India was a highly civilized nation 6,000 years ago. So obviously the choice was not to be years ago. my own nation. I decided to defect and to entirely dissociate myself from that brutal regime. Mr. Besmianov, uh, we've read a lot about the concentration camps and the slave labor camps under the Stalin regime. Now the general impression in America is that those things are part of the past. Are they still going on today, or what is the yes. status? Yes. There is no qualitative change in, in the Soviet concentration camp system. Uh, there are changes in, in numbers of prisoners. Again, this is... Uh, Un unreliable Soviet statistics. We don't know how many political prisoners are there in the Soviet concentration camps, but we sure know from... But we're supposed to believe the Tatarian stuff? Excuse me, I, I was eating. ...from various sources that at each uh, particular time there are close to uh, 25 to 30 million of Soviet citizens who are virtually kept as slaves in forced labor camp system. The size of a population of a country like Canada is serving terms as, as prisoners. Incredible. So um, I would say that those intellectuals who try to convince American public that concentration camp system is a thing of a past are either conscientiously misleading public opinion or they are not in very intellectual people. They, they're selectively blind. Any comments so far? Okay. Young? No? Okay. They don't, they lack um, intellectual honesty when they say that. Well, we've spoken about the intellectuals in this country and also the intellectuals in the Soviet Union. What about down at the broad mass level? Do the people in general, the, worker, the working people, the workers in general in the Soviet Union, do they support the system? Do they tolerate it? What is their attitude? Well, average Soviet citizen, if there is such an animal, of course, does not like the system because it hurts, it kills. He may not understand the, the reasons, he, he may not have enough information or, or educational background to understand, uh, but I doubt very much there are many people who are uh, conscientiously supporting the Soviet system. There are not such, such people in USSR. Even those who have all the reasons to enjoy socialism, people like myself, who were a member of journalistic elite, uh, they, 
they also hate the system for, for different reasons, though. Not because they lack material affluence, but because they are unfree to think they're in constant fear, duplicity, split personality. And this is the greatest tragedy for my nation. Well, what do you think are the chances of the people actually overcoming their system or replacing it? Uh, there is a great possibility that system will sooner or later be, be destroyed from within. There is a self-destructive mechanism built in, into any socialist or communist or fascist system uh, because there is lack of feedback because the system does not rely upon loyalty of, of population. But until, and until this Soviet junta is being supported by the Western so-called imperialists, that is, multinational companies, establishments, governments, uh, and let's face it, uh, intellectuals, so-called academia in the United States is famous for supporting the Soviet system. Uh, as long as the Soviet junta will keep on receiving credits, money, technology, grain deals, and political recognition from all these traitors of democracy or freedom, uh, there is no hope, there is not much hope for, for changes in my country. And the system will not collapse by itself simply because it's, it's being nourished by so-called American imperialism. This is the greatest paradox in history of mankind when a capitalist world supports and actively nourishes its own destroyer, destructor. I think you're trying to tell us something. Oh, in yes. This country. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to <laughs> tell you that it, it has to be stopped unless you want to end up in, in gulag system and enjoy all the advantages of socialist uh, equality. Uh, working for free, catching fleas on your body, sleeping on, on the planks of, of plywood in, in Alaska this time, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's where Americans will belong unless they will wake up, of course, and force their government to stop aiding Soviet fascism. Well, you told us a moment ago why you left the system. I'd like to hear the details of how you did it. It must have been a very dangerous thing. It was not so dangerous. It was crazy. Uh, first of all, because defecting in India is virtually impossible, thanks to very strong pressure from the Soviet government. Excuse me, you were in India, India. on assignment at yes, that time. Yes, I was working for the Soviet embassy in New Delhi as a press officer. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, defecting for a Soviet diplomat is next to impossible. It's a suicide, as I said, because a great friend Indira Gandhi um, pushed a law through Parliament which says, and I quote, no defector from any country has a right of political asylum in any embassy on the territory of Indian Republic, which is a masterpiece of hypocrisy. No other defector but a Soviet one needs a political asylum. So knowing that perfectly well, I, I, I planned a craziest possible way to defect. I studied contraculture in India. There, are, there were thousands of young American boys and girls with no shoes, long hair, smoking hush and marijuana, studying sometimes uh, Indian philosophy, sometimes simply pretending that they studied. And they greatly annoyed Indian police, and they were laughing stock of Indians, uh, because obviously they, they were good-for-nothing students. 
I studied carefully where they congregate, what routes they travel, what language they speak, what do they smoke. And one day I simply joined a group of hippies to avoid detection of Indian police. I was dressed as a typical hippie with uh, blue jeans, uh, long kameez shirts with all kind of nice decorations like beads, long hairs. Uh, I, I, I bought a wig because for several weeks I had to turn myself from a conservative Soviet diplomat into a very progressive American hippie. And that was the only way that, that I could uh, avoid uh, detection. It was very interesting experience, uh, but it was necessary because um, from my own knowledge as a, as a member of Soviet embassy staff, I knew that there were many cases when Soviet defectors were betrayed by Indian police and also some Western embassies played a very dirty role in betraying the Soviet defectors. According to our information, they were some, I wouldn't call them double agents, but simply immoral people working for, this, uh, for the United States Embassy. And uh, confining in, in people like this would be a suicide. So I had to be extremely careful. I could not trust anyone. It, and that was the that was the reason for such a crazy way to defect. Well, had you been uh, caught in the act of trying to get out, what would have no. happened to you? Oh, uh, most likely I would end up in, in concentration camp. Uh, or, depending on the situation and on, on, the, on the whim of some bureaucrat in KGB, uh, maybe even executed. This is normal practice. Quietly, of course, not publicly. But that would be the end of my defection, of course. Well, when did you finally make it to the United States? Uh, in 1970, after... Okay, before we get into that, because I was listening to this whole thing. So... <clears throat> a likely story is all I'll say, okay? That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's full of shit, but... Look, well, especially with all the people we know I mean, nowadays. Maybe. Okay. Good... So I find some guys, they're smoking the hashish, these American progressives. I put on the wig because I had to act like I'm on the jean jacket. I let the hairs grow and the hair. Okay. It's like the perfect, like, fucking out abroad story for yeah. the 70s. Like, the... for the 80s. I, mean, I don't that's know, what though. Spy work is. Spy work is, is you blending right. into the crowd you're going in. Yeah, infiltration, man. It's a. We'll never escape it. It's, it's. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the story's full of shit. I believe the story. Although. What's fishy to you? Oh, no, I'm just saying that, like, people kind of identify with, they construed identity to how you dress, especially here in LA, right? So if you dress as a skater, people are going to think you're a skater. No, no, totally, totally. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying his story. I'm just. Let's let's keep listening. About six months of debriefing in Athens by the CIA and I presume FBI too. They let me go first to Germany, then to Canada. That was my decision. I had to change my identity to protect my family and my friends in, in USSR. And also I was a little bit paranoid uh, knowing that both Soviet KGB and probably some double agents within the American system maybe after me. 
So I wanted to settle down as far away as possible. Uh, I requested CIA to give me some kind of new identity and just let me go uh, on my own. And I settled in Canada. I was a student. Uh, I changed many professions from farm help and, and laundry truck driver to instruct, language instructor and broadcaster for Canadian Broadcasting Corporations in Montreal. Well, have you had any threats on your life or any uh, yes. unpleasantries? Uh, in about five years, KGB eventually discovered that I'm working for Canadian Broadcasting. Uh, I made a very big mistake. I started, talk I started working for overseas service of CBC, which is similar to Voice of America, in Russian language. And of course, uh, monitoring service in USSR picked up every new voice. Uh, every new announcer, would they, they would make it a point to discover who he is. And in five years, sure enough, slowly but surely, they discovered that I am not Thomas Schumann, that I am Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmenov, and that I am working for Canadian Broadcasting, and undermining beautiful detente between Canada and USSR. And the Soviet ambassador, Alexander Yakovlev, made it his personal effort to discredit me, he complained to Pierre Trudeau, who is known to be a little bit soft oh, and Pierre Trudeau. And um, the management of CBC behaved in a very strange, cowardly way, unbecoming to representatives of an independent country like Canada. They listened to every suggestion that Soviet ambassador gave, and they started shameful investigation analyzing content of my broadcasts to USSR. And sure enough, they discovered that some of my statements were probably to, um, would be uh, offending to the Soviet Politburo. So I had to, to leave my, my job. And of course, subtle intimidations. They would say something like, please cross the street carefully because, you know, traffic is very heavy in Quebec. And um, Fortunately, I know about the psychology and, and the logic of activity of the KGB, and I never allowed myself to be intimidated. This is the worst thing. This is what they expect a person, mm -hmm. a defector, to be intimidated. Once they spot that, that you are scared, they keep on developing that line, mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, eventually you either have to give up entirely and, and, and work for them, or you, they neutralize you. They, they, they would definitely stop all kind of political activity, which they failed to do in my case, mm -hmm. because I was stubbornly working for the Canadian Broadcasting. And um, in response to their intimidations, I said that, look, this is a free country, and uh, I am as free as you are. And I also can drive very fast. And um, gun control is not yet established in Canada. So I had a couple of good shotguns. Not yet day. established. So welcome to visit me someday with your Kalashnikovs machine guns. So obviously it didn't work, intimidation didn't work. So they, they tried different approach, as I described, they approached on the highest level, on the level of Canadian bureaucracy. On that level they were successful. On that level they were successful. On individual level they failed flat. 
Mr. Bezmenov has brought a series of slides with him that he has taken from the Soviet Union, and I think this is a good time to uh, take a look at the slides. Yes. Now, the viewers will be able to see these slides as, as we talk about them. Yes, this okay. is a collection of slides which are, some of them are uh, snapshots. Remember when that used to be a thing, dude, slideshows? <laughs> like legit, like you'd have a, you'd plan a party for weeks. You have to go tell your neighbor, and your net, and you have to write a letter, send it through the post, call him on the phone, tell him, hey, don't forget about the party. We're gonna show the slideshow. Really, you got a slideshow? Yeah, I got two hundred pictures. <gasps> Remember overhead projectors? Over the ones that you have to write on. Remember those with the marker? Fuck yeah! With the awesome. sheets. Dude, make a little anime. I'm sure you love that shit because it's like very animation heavy. Because we, I remember doing like a overhead projector slideshow thing in, in school one year. We did like a Simpsons thing. It's cool. Ah, oh, the good old days. From my family album, some of them are documents which I smuggled from the Soviet embassy, and some are reproductions from local mass media. I usually show them to establish my credibility. As, mm -hmm. Oh, to this establish is a my credibility. Of my native town, Mytishi, about 20 miles north from Moscow. Uh, characteristically, there is a statue of Comrade Lenin in the central square. Uh, this is myself at the age of seven. Again, characteristically, okay, I think mine will go for fishy. About a, if they talk. Um, my father was, he is on the left here. My father was um, officer of the general staff of the Soviet army. He was inspector of land forces, Soviet troops stationed in countries like Mongolia, Cuba, uh, East European countries. Were he alive today, most likely he would be inspecting Soviet troops in, in Nicaragua, Angola, and many other parts of the world. Fortunately, he died and he didn't see the disgrace because deep inside he was a Russian patriot. He didn't, he didn't like the idea of expanding Soviet military might especially in the areas where, where we were not welcomed at all. Unlike many other military officers, he was reporting directly to the Minister of Defense, bypassing KGB and diplomatic service. In other words, he was a trusted military professional. And my impression that this type of people are much less hawkish and adventuristic than party bureaucrats in Kremlin. When American mass media Very describes similar Soviet today. military as potentially dangerous counterpart for, for Pentagon, I simply laugh because I know better. I know that the most dangerous part of the Soviet power structures are not military at all. Most likely, if they come to power in my country, they'll be more sensible negotiators for nuclear disarmament and withdrawal of the Soviet troops from many parts of the world. But if someone from the party structure or the KGB structure were to give the orders for a military They have venture, to obey, they, they yes, would follow because they are, they, are, they are professional military. But they, mm -hmm. you see, the triangle of power and hate in USSR is the party at the top, mm -hmm. the party elite, the oligarchy of the party, mm -hmm. then the military and the KGB at the bottom. They hate each other. See, now what we've seen, what have we seen now? Now we've got the political oligarch, we've got the intelligence, which is the KGB in this case, and then we've got the military on the bottom. So basically you have, you have bureaucrats running the military that are, oh man, so crazy. And uh, the most hated triangle, uh, the most hated corner of the triangle is the Communist Party bureaucrats. 
They are the most adventuristic, senile megalomaniacs. They can start war. I wouldn't be surprised. Not the military. They know what war is. At least my father did. This is the picture taken at the, at the entrance of my Institute of Oriental Languages. It's a part of Moscow State University. I uh, graduated in 1963. And I now, excuse me, which one were you on? I am yeah. on the right. You're on the right. And on the left is my, uh, uh, my schoolmate, Vadim Smirnov, who later was an apparatchik in the Central Committee of the Soviet Union Communist Party. What is an apparatchik? It's, it's, a, it's a functionary, something like civil service in British Empire. Some, someone who is never fired from, from the service. He stays there internally. He may not be promoted too high, but he's a dependable um, bureaucrat who will stay forever. Wow. Uh, I studied not only languages, but also we history, for literature, it. even music. I'm, I'm on this picture, I'm trying to learn how to play musical, uh, Indian musical You see how like, he's establishing like, his whereabouts? Sorry. Well, I mean, it all, it's only open case. will stay forever. I know. I'm just, I'm nitpicking. Uh, I studied not only languages, but also history, literature, even music. I'm, I'm on this picture. I'm. You got to understand, too. It's like my, my mother lived, was born in 1950 in a German ran, in a Russian ran German displaced persons camp five years after World War II. She's probably, I don't know how old this guy is, but if he graduated from 1963, she, she's probably about uh, 15 years older than my mom, so he would probably be around, he'd be in, dead or in his late 90s. Trying oh, to learn um, how to play. About those displaced persons camp. Patton had some things to say about uh, certain demographics that were extremely dirty and would pile up trash in corners uh, and would use, like, instead of using the toilets, they'd just, like, shit and piss in a corner. Did your mom uh, have anything to say about that? I mean, my, well, my mom would, got picked up from the camp when she was, I think, five years old. So, so she wouldn't. Yeah, I think she only really talks about like stories that she had heard about, you know, like the one that I said before, which was that they built a, they made a, <clears throat> they're going to have a wedding. So they made a wedding dress out of a parachute, but the pissing and shitting, I mean, I wouldn't doubt them. They're fucking, they live in a, who knows how the conditions were in the camp. I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume it's not, it wasn't the greatest. I mean, uh, but, that, the, the implication with that was that it was a choice that like, they had latrines maybe. and stuff, but they chose to do elsewise. Maybe. I mean, I can't imagine 1950s Germany ran by Russia. How, like, what are you going to have the choice to what? Shit in the same smelly ass fucking bucket or something that like 40 other people had shit in? Or like, just let me just go take a shit in the corner real quick and just, I mean, I don't know. I have no clue, but I know I have, I've heard of stories of family members going to other people's houses, like being from like Russia or other you know, Armenia or other places, Turkey, and they they like they wipe their ass, but then they throw the shit paper into the into the trash can. They don't flush it down the toilet just because they don't know better. Yeah, I, that's I think what. what yeah, kind of... I mean that's a common tradition in in most immigrant houses because mm -hmm. they don't want to fucking clog up the toilet. Mm -hmm. Musical. Uh, I even musical learned how to play the guitar. I even tried to look like an Indian when I was second grade. <clears> I even band. tried to look like an uh, Indian. Yes, uh, actually, it was strongly encouraged by the by the instructors in my 
school because uh, these, the graduates of my school were later on employed as diplomats, foreign journalists, or spies. See, foreign journalists. Uh, as every Soviet student, I was, quote unquote, volunteering for harvesting grain in Kazakhstan. This is the biggest uh, agricultural blunder of the Soviet government. Uh, but um, I didn't have much choice, of course, because the communist motto borrowed from the Bible says, those who do not work shall not eat. And you can see me eating, therefore I was working, and you can see how happy I was about it. I went through a very extensive physical and military training, uh, including the, manure, uh, un including the uh, military games in, in uh, uh, areas, uh, suburban areas of Moscow. And here, for example, we are on a tour in Arkhangelsk area. And by the end of my training in school, I was recruited by the KGB. This picture was taken on that day, and you can see again how happy it feels to be. <laughs> yeah, he looks so happy. <laughs> well, how, you can see how Our happy. conversation with That's Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov, who is a defector from the Soviet Union, a former propaganda agent for Novosti and the KGB. The idea, of course, is to prepare uh, huge reserve army of, of, of the USSR. Each student has to, to graduate as a junior lieutenant. In my case, it was administrative and military intelligence service. My first assignment was to India as a translator with the Soviet Economical Aid Group building refinery complexes in Bihar state and Gujarat state. At that time, I was still naively uh, idealistically believing that what I was doing contributes to the understanding and cooperation between the nations. Uh, it took me quite a number of years to realize that what we were bringing to India was a new type of colonialism, thousand times more oppressive and exploitative than any colonialism or imperialism in, in history of mankind. Uh, but at that time, I was still hoping that, well, maybe it's not that bad, could be worse, and things may go for better. And I even tried to implement the beautiful Marxist motto, proletarians of all the countries unite. I tried to unite with a nice Indian girl. <laughs> and I was, actually, I was fascinated by Indian culture, by, by the family life in, in this country. But obviously, Communist Party had different plans for my genes, so I had to marry this beautiful Russian girl. Uh, in the span of my career, I married three times. Most of these marriages were marriages of convenience on advice from the Department of Personnel. This is normal practice in USSR. When a Soviet citizen is assigned to a foreign wow. job, he has to be married, either to keep family in USSR as hostages, or if it's a convenience marriage like mine, uh, so that the husband and wife are virtually informers on each it's other. It's like that show, The Americans. Or, uh, Have you guys yeah. seen that show? And then even even before that, when they did Project Blue Book, um, they did the Project Blue Blue Book um, remake with the guy that played Littlefinger in uh, Game of Thrones. I thought it was a pretty good show. I haven't really watched the second season, but the first season was fun. And like that's like a the the theme was like. Um, you know, there's different storylines. One of the storylines is like a Russian living in the country, trying to like gain access, Big family. being like, yeah. being like the wife, being the friend to the wife of the main guy that's working for the uh, Project Blue Book. Contamination by decadent imperialist or capitalist. When she, becomes, she tries to seduce her. Case, 
I hated that girl so much that the moment I landed in Moscow, we, uh, we were divorced and I, uh, I married later, second time. By the end of my first assignment in India, I was promoted to the position of, of public relations officer. You can see me here translating a speech by a Soviet boss. And on you're on the right. I'm right? on the right here, yes. Yeah. And it was, the occasion was commissioning of the refinery complex in Bihar, Barauni. Uh, back in Moscow, I was immediately recruited by Novosti Press Agency, which is a propaganda and ideological subversion front for the KGB. 75% of the members of the Novosti are commissioned officers of the KGB. The other 25 are, like myself, co-opted agents who are assigned to specific operations. In this particular case, you can see me talking to students of Lumumba Friendship University in Moscow. Um, this is the a, a huge school under the uh, direct control of the KGB and Central Committee where future leaders of the so-called national liberation movements are being educated and selected carefully. And some of them have absolutely, they, neither this for example is a group of students from Lumumba. They don't look like students at all. They look more like military and that's exactly what they were. They were dispatched back to their countries to be leaders of the so-called national liberation movements, or to be translated into normal human language, leaders of uh, international terrorist groups. Another uh, area of activity when I was working for the Novosti was to accompany groups of so-called progressive intellectuals, writers, journalists, publishers, uh, teachers, professors of, of, of colleges, you can see me here. Dude, I bet intelligence has changed so much since then. Now it's all just computer intelligence and satellites and recorders. And I, I bet you have very few actual boots on the ground these days. Maybe not. I mean, maybe more just by capita, but I don't know. What do you think? They just have their, their own cells in each individual company. To some degree, I think assets don't know that they're assets. You know what I, mean? I think yeah. that's what most of it is today. Yeah. Unknowing, uh, what do they call them? Useful idiots. Well, no, it not, goes not to call to the them not to call the military people idiots, but it's just like when I say idiot, it means unbeknownst to the person. Exactly, it's the compartmentalization of this again you know, yeah. operation. Consumers are a large part of it too. Yeah. Talks and look, even Lazar it kind of exposes that a lot too. Talks about the compartmentalization of it. So it's interesting. Second on the left, with a group of Pakistani and Indian. Pakistani. Hold up, pause it for a second, Rami. What do you What do you mean? Consumers are part. Uh, explain what you mean by that. As in, you know, like the whole data collection aspect of it, right? Oh, oh, yeah. You know, like if you know uh, certain people are watching somebody or something or are trending a certain kind of data pattern, they can employ, you know, influencers, right? Like direct influencers, probably like somebody like Tim Pool, because Tim Pool knows how to use his words to angle everything as a centrist. For sure. So, you know, there's like Scott levels Adams. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Pool, I redact my original statement of thinking that he was not a shill. Now I think he's a shill. And then I watched yeah, another no, video look, and thought, probably not a shill. What made you change your mind? Yeah, what made you change your mind? Dude, 
we, last night we went on this we watched this episode from uh and i'm, I'm not gonna get into it right now but it's this, it's an episode of tim tim cast with rocco from originally subverse then turned into scanner that was owned by tim pool and then with this other girl emily i forget her last name and they <clears throat> they um they, they caught him in a bunch of lies. They just they 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 shook him up. Seemed seemed like a little bit too. And when I, I I had originally watched that video, that's how I found Rocco. But Rocco's been posting all this shit. Now they're being sued by Tim in a lawsuit regarding Scanner because they tried to push Tim out. I don't know exactly. I mean, hundred percent. But it was um like he was basically Rocco was kind of like basically alluding during his two and a half hour podcast with Tim that like basically. It comes out that like later, literally, Tim has been using these bot ampl- amplification uh, networks and using that to um, fraud AdSense in a way. So I don't know, or like purposefully being paid and amplified to support a, a right-wing agenda, <laughs> like Cernovich. And it was just a bunch of shit like that. So. I don't know. Uh, most of them pretended they don't understand that uh, we are actually working on behalf of the Soviet government and the KGB. Damn, they pretended after I told that, that they are actually being guests, VIP intellectuals, that they are treated according to their merits and, and, and their intellectual abilities. For us, they were just a bunch of political prostitutes to be taken advantage for various propaganda operations. Therefore, you can see perfectly well the senior colleague of mine on the left doesn't really have that much respect on his face. And myself, with a very skeptical smile, uh, typical KGB sarcastic smile, anticipating another victim of of ideological brainwashing. This is how a a typical uh, conference in Novosti headquarters in Moscow looks like. Uh, Sitting in the middle is Boris Burkov, the then director of Novosti Press Agency, high-ranking party bureaucrat in the Department of Propaganda. I am standing next to a famous Indian poet, Sumitranandan Pant. Uh, he was famous because he was an author. He was the author of a famous poem titled Rhapsody to Lenin. That's why he was invited to USSR, and everything was paid uh, by the Soviet government. Uh, pay special attention to number of bottles on the table. This is one of the ways to kill the awareness wow. or curiosity of, of foreign journalists. My one of my functions was to keep foreign guests. Uh, he was fa- permanently intoxicated the moment they land at Moscow airport. I had to take them to the VIP launch and toast to friendship and understanding between the nations of the world. Glass of vodka, then the second glass of vodka. And in no time, my guests would be feeling very happy. They would see everything in kind of pink, nice color. And uh, that's the way I, I had to keep them permanently for the next 15 or, or 20 days. At certain point in time, I had to withdraw alcohol from them so that some of them who are the most recruitable would feel a little bit shaky, guilty, trying to remember what they were talking last night. That's the time to approach them with all kind of nonsense, such as joint communique or statement for for Soviet propaganda. Uh, That's the time they are the most flexible. And of course, what they didn't understand, 
they didn't realize or pretended not to realize that myself who was drinking together with them uh, was not drinking at all i had ways to get rid of alcohol through various techniques cocaine pills which were given to me by my colleagues uh-huh uh, but they were Adderall. taking it seriously in other words they 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 would consume quite a large volumes of alcohol and feel quite uneasy next morning um in 1967, the KGB attached me to this magazine, Look Magazine. A group of 12 people arrived to USSR from United States to cover the 50th anniversary of October Socialist Revolution in my country. From the first page to the last page, it was a package of lies, propaganda cliché, which were presented to American readers as opinions and deductions of American journalists. Nothing could be far from truth. These were not opinions. They were not opinions at all. Uh, they were the cliches which the Soviet propaganda wants American public to think that they think. Yeah, if it does make any sense at all. It sure does, because from the viewpoint of the Soviet propaganda, although there are some subtle criticism of the Soviet system, the basic message is that Russia today is a nice functioning efficient system supported by majority of population that's the biggest lie and of course american intellectuals and journalists from look magazine elaborated on that untruth in various different ways they intellectualized that lie they found all kind of justifications for telling lies to american public um this and, is excuse me it was partly your job to make sure that they got these ideas yes. and accepted them as their own ideas. Right. Actually, even before they arrived to USSR and they paid astronomical sum of money for that visit, uh, they were submitted, uh, this Novosti Press Agency developed so-called backgrounders, 20, 25 pages of information and opinions which were presented to the journalists even before they bought their tickets to Moscow. They had to analyze the situation, and judging on their reaction to that backgrounder, the local Novosti representative or local Soviet diplomat in Washington, D.C., would assess whether they have, whether they be given visa to USSR or not. Yeah. So but they it, were selected ahead oh, of time. Oh, yes. They were, they were pre-selected very carefully, and uh, there is not much chance for honest journalists to arrive to USSR and to stay there for one year and to bring this uh, package of lies back home. This, for example, is a centerfold of the, of, of the Look magazine. They presented this monument erected by Communist Party in Stalingrad as the symbol, personification of Russian military might. And they said in the article, which is published on, on the side, that Soviets are very proud of the victory in the Second World War. This is another big myth, a lie. No sensible people would be proud to lose 20 millions of their countrymen in a war which was started by Genosse Hitler and Comrade Stalin and paid by American multinationals. Most of the Soviet citizens look at this type of monuments with disgust and sorrow because every family lost father, brother, sister or child in the Second World War. Yet American journalists who were trying to appease, to please their hosts, presented this picture on the centerfold as the symbol and personification of Soviet national, uh, they call it Russian national spirit. And it was greatest, greatest misconception and, and a very tragic misunderstanding. 
Of course, Loop Magazine was not distributed in USSR. The main uh, audience was in the United States. But uh, I presume that many Americans, millions of Americans who were reading Look Magazine at that time, had absolutely wrong idea about the sentiments of my nation, about what the Soviets are proud of and what they hate. This is a group, you see the same lady with the sword in Stalingrad. This is the group of journalists. Myself is in the center with the same devilish smile. And Mr. Philip Harrington is on the extreme left there with, with his camera. Uh, this is the gentleman which was so deaf or so uninterested in what I had to say to him. Uh, this is the same picture, a blow up of the same, of the same picture. Uh, many, many guests from various countries, in this particular case from Asia and Africa, were taken by me as a Novosti Press Agency employee uh, for a tour across Siberia, for example. We would show them typical kindergarten, you see. Nothing special by American standards. Just nice children sitting, eating their breakfast or, or lunch. Um, what they could not understand, or they pretended not to understand, that this is an exemplary kindergarten. This is not the kindergarten for average person or average family in USSR. And we maintain that illusion in their minds. You can see myself under the red spot in the middle there uh, with the same business-like expression. I'm, on, you know, I'm doing my job. That, that's what I'm assigned to do, and that's what I was paid to do. But deep inside, I still hope that at least some of these useful idiots would understand that what they are looking at has nothing to do with the level of affluence in my nation. This is a better picture which reflects the true spirit of, of the Soviet, chi uh, ch Soviet childhood. This picture was printed in a Canadian government publication by mistake. In the middle, you can see children playing on a, sm a small courtyard. And the caption goes, this is a typical kindergarten in Siberia. What these idiots didn't understand, that it is not kindergarten at all. It is a prison for children of political prisoners. But there was not a single mentioning that what they were visiting actually was an area of concentration camps. And the job of people like myself to help them to n not to notice that they are actually talking to prisoners. Most of the children were dressed, especially on the occasion of the foreigners' visit. Uh, the, uh, of course, there were no corpses in, on the ground. There were no machine gun guards. And uh, the... Well, it looks not very pleasant, as you see. It's a, it, it looks dull, but obviously it does not create an impression that this is actually a prison. Well, did any of the journalists have the uh, curiosity to ask about uh, prisons and that kind of thing? Yes. They were in Siberia. Yes. This is what you associate. Some of, yes. Some of them asked questions, and naturally we, we would give them, the, for the stupid question, we give them stupid answer. No, there are no prisons in Siberia. No, most of the people who are you see our free citizens of USSR, they are very happy to be here uh, and, and they are contributing to the glory of the socialist system. Uh, some of them pretended that they, they believe what, what I was uh, telling them and um, most of them, we may discuss it later, what are the motivations of these people? Why would they stubbornly bring lies to their own population through their own mass media? I have various answers to this. There is not a single explanation. It's a complex of explanations. 
It's fear, pure biological fear. They understand that they are on the territory of an enemy state, a police state. And just to save their rotten skins and their miserable jobs, their affluence back home, they would prefer to tell a lie than to, to ask truthful questions and, and report truthful information. Second, most of these schmucks were uh, afraid to lose their jobs because obviously if you tell truth about my country, you will not last long as a correspondent of New York Times uh, or, or Los Angeles Times. They will fire you. What kind of correspondent are you? You obviously cannot find common language with Russians if they kick you out in 24 hours. So just by, by trying to be conformist to their own editorial bosses, they tried not to offend the sentiments of the Soviet administrators and people like myself. Deep inside, I hope they would insult my, uh, or offend my sentiments. Obviously, they preferred not to. Uh, another reason, uh, I, did, I, I refuse to believe it, but obviously, there is another reason. Obviously, it's a greed. These people earn a lot of money. When they come back to USA, they claim that they are experts on my country. They write books which sells in million copies, titled like Russians, the truth about Russia. Most of it is lie about Russia. Yet they claim to be Sovietologists. They, they, bring, they play back myths about my country, the propaganda cliches. Yet they are stubbornly resist a, a, the word of truth. If a, a person like Solzhenitsyn is either defecting or kicked out of USSR, they try all their best to discuss to discredit him and we're to seeing this shit with Chinese people now too I don't have much chance to appear on national network uh, with a true story about my country but a useful idiot like Hendrik Smith or Robert Kaiser they are big heroes they come back from USSR they say oh we were talking to dissidents in Russia big deal Soviet dissidents are chasing American correspondents in the streets and they are cowardly escaping from these contacts for some strange reason, if you want to know more about Spain, you refer to Spanish writers. If you want to learn more about French, you read French or writers. Even about Antarctica, I bet you would read Penguins. <laughs> Only about the Soviet Union, for some strange reason, you read Hendrix and Schmendrix and all kinds of Kissingers. Because they claim that they know more about my country. They know Dropping nothing. Dropping Kissinger's name, lol. Or they pretend that they know more than they actually do. I would say they are dishonest people who lack integrity and uh, common sense and intellectual honesty. They bring back all kinds of stories like that. A kindergarten in Siberia. Omitting mm -hmm. the most important fact, it's a prison for children of political prisoners. Uh, another greatest example of monumental idiocy of American politicians. Uh, Edward Kennedy was in Moscow, and he thought that he is a popular, charismatic American politician who is easygoing, who can smile, dance at the wedding in, in Russian Palace of Marriages. What he, did, what he did not understand, or maybe he pretended not to understand, that actually he was being taken for a ride. This is a staged wedding, especially to impress foreign media or, or useful idiots like Ed Kennedy. Most of the, of the guests there, they, they, they had security clearance and they were instructed what to say to foreigners. This is exactly what I was doing. You can see me in the same damn wedding palace in Moscow where Ed Kennedy was dancing here, you see, smiling. 
He thinks he's very smart. From the viewpoint of Russian citizens who observe this idiocy, he's, he's narrow-minded, egocentrical idiot who tries to earn his own popularity through, the, uh, through participation in propaganda farces like this. Here you can see myself. On the right, again, exemplary Soviet bride. On the left, three journalists from various countries, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Obviously, they enjoying the situation. They, they will go back home and write the reports. We were present at the, on a regular Soviet wedding. They were not present on a regular Soviet wedding. They were present. They were part of a farce, of a circus performance. Uh, another thing which I had to sometimes risking my life to explain to foreigners. Time magazine, for example, is very critical of South African racist regime. The whole article was dedicated to the shameful internal passport si system where black, blacks are not allowing to live with whites. For some strange reason, for the last 14 years since my defection, nobody wanted to pay attention to my passport. This is my passport. It also shows my nationality. And it, it, it has a police rubber stamp, which is called prapiska in Russian language, which assigns me to a certain area of residence. I cannot leave that area, same way as this black man cannot leave the area in South Africa. Yet we call South African government racist regime. Not a single Jane, Jane Schmonda or Fonda is brave <laughs> enough, courageous enough to come to media and say, look, this is what happens in USSR. I send a copy of, of my passport to many American liberals and civil rights uh, defenders and, and all the other useful idiots. They never, they never yeah. bothered to answer me back. This shows what kind of integrity, what kind of honesty these people are. They are a bunch of hypocrites because they don't want to recognize a good example of racism in my country. This is the first stage of befriending a professor. You can see myself on the left with the same James Bond smile. On, my, on the right is my KGB supervisor, Comrade Leonid Mitrohin and in the middle, a professor of political science in Delhi University. The next stage would be to invite him to a gathering of Indo-Soviet Friendship Society. There he is sitting next to his wife before he is being sent to USSR for free trip. Everything is paid by the Soviet government. He was made to believe that he is invited to USSR because he is a talented, sober-thinking intellectual. Absolutely false. He is invited because he is a useful idiot, because he would agree and subscribe to most of the Soviet propaganda cliché. And when he is coming back to, to his own country, he is going for years and years to teach the beauties of Soviet socialism to uh, newer and newer generations of his students. Thus, Okay, perfect example here. <clears throat> We've actually talked about this too, which is, what do they do? They don't just like say no, like the newspapers. No, you don't have to write about. No, no, no. You can't write about this. <clears throat> you have to write about this. What they do is they recruit people like, hey, we see that you're being uh, critical of Israel. Why don't you come over here and write your papers on uh, your pro Hamas papers over here? Yeah. Come tell us how the Qataris are backing Hamas, please. Okay. You see what I mean? promoting the Soviet propaganda line. Uh, the KGB was even curious about this gentleman. It may look innocent, 
Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, a great spiritual leader, can you, or maybe a great charlatan. Yes. Can you say that Epstein was doing the same thing? Yeah. And also what the Lee family's research facility is doing with the universities. The Rockefeller Institute. Mm -hmm. the, like all of them, yeah. All of them. Yeah, not just in Harvard. Cambridge, mm -hmm. Analytica. And Krug, depending on which, from which side you're looking at him. Uh, Beatles were trained at his ashram in Hardwar in India how to meditate. Mia Farrow and, and other uh, useful idiots from Hollywood visited his uh, school and they returned back to the United States absolutely zonked out of their minds with marijuana, hashish, and crazy ideas of meditation. To meditate, <laughs> in other words, to isolate oneself from the current social and political issues of your own country to get into your own bubble to forget about troubles of the world obviously kgb was very fascinated with such a beautiful school such a, a brainwashing center for stupid americans i was dispatched by the kgb to check what kind of vip americans attend this school that's you on the left yes right? i'm on the <laughs> left uh, i i i was trying to get enrolled in that school unfortunately they Maharishi Mahesh Yogi asked too much. He wanted 500 American dollars for enrollment. But my function was not actually to get enrolled in the school. My function was to discover what kind of people from the United States attend this school. And we discovered that, yes, there are some influential members of family, uh, uh, public opinion makers of the United States, who come back with the crazy stories about Indian philosophy, Indians themselves look up upon them as idiots, useful idiots. To say nothing about KGB, who looked at them as 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 extremely so Joe Rogan's a useful idiot, misguided people. Obviously, yeah. a Hell VIP, yeah. say a wife of, of of a congressman, or or a prominent Hollywood personality, after after being trained in that school, is much more instrumental in the hands of of manipulators of public opinion and KGB than a normal person who, who understands, who, who looks through this, this, uh, this, this type of, of uh, fake religious training. Why would they be more susceptible to manipulation? I just mentioned that because, you see, a, a person who is too much involved in, 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 in introspective meditation, you see, if you carefully look what, what Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is teaching to, to Americans is that all, most of the problems, most of the burning issues of today can be solved simply by meditating. Don't, don't, don't rock the boat. Don't get involved. Just sit down, look at your navel and meditate. And the things, due to some strange logic, due to cosmic vibration, will, will, will settle down by themselves. This is exactly what the KGB and Marxist-Leninist propaganda wants from America. Oh my to God! To distract their Golly. I love it, dude. Uh, it's a little on the nose. From real Jesus Christ! So there is a correlation between White House wives and being a crazy um, communist Marxist supporter. Okay, makes sense. Yoga. Oh man. It's fucking heavy. Like, you just see the effects of it now. Like, he's just fucking crazy. We got about half, uh, 20, yeah. Half yeah, almost done. We'll, we'll go, we'll get, we'll get through this. Yeah, let's just go through it, right? You got time, right? Non-world, non-existent 
uh, harmony. Obviously, it's more beneficial for the Soviet aggressors to have a bunch of duped Americans than Americans who are self-conscious, healthy, uh, physically fit, and alert to, to the reality. Maharishi Maheshwari <laughs> obviously is not on the payroll of the KGB. But w whether he knows it or not, he contributes greatly to demoralization of American society. And he's not the only Gosh. one. There are hundreds of those gurus who come to, you, to your country to capitalize on naivete and stupidity of, of Americans. It's a fashion. It's a fashion to meditate. It's a fashion not to be involved. So obviously, y you can see that if, if KGB were uh, that curious, if they paid my trip to Hardwar, if they assigned me to that, to that strange job, obviously they were very much fascinated. They were convinced that that type of, of, of brainwashing is very efficient and instrumental in demoralization of the United States. Our conversation Vietnamese were executed in one night when the city of foreign policy, actors, education, publishers, individuals who were instrumental in creating public opinion. Publishers, editors, journalists, uh, actors, educationalists, professors of political science, members of parliament, uh, pre uh, representatives of business circles. Most of these people were divided roughly in two groups. Those who would tow the Soviet foreign policy, they would be promoted to the positions of power through media and public opinion manipulation. Those who refused what does that sound influence like? in their own country would be character assassinated or executed physically come revolution. Same way as uh, in the small town of Hue in South Vietnam, several thousands of Vietnamese were executed in one night when the city was captured by Viet Cong for only two days. And American CIA could never figure out how could possibly communists know each individual where he lives, where, where to get him, and would be arrested in one night, basically in, in some four hours before dawn, put on a van, taken out of the city limits, and shot. The answer is very simple. Long before communists occupied the city, there was extensive network of informers, local Vietnamese citizens, who knew absolutely everything about people who were instrumental in public opinion, including barbers and taxi drivers. Everyone who was sympathetic to the United States was executed. Same thing was done under the guidance of, of the Soviet embassy in Hanoi, and same thing I was doing in New Delhi. To my horror, I discovered that in the files where people were doomed to execution, there were names of, of pro-Soviet journalists with whom I was personally friendly. Pro-Soviet? Yes. They were idealistically minded leftists who uh, made several visits to USSR. And yet, the KGB decided that come revolution or drastic changes in political structure of India, they will have to go. Why is that? Because they know too much. Simply because, you see, the useful idiots, the, the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of Soviet socialist or communist or whatever system, when they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made the point, never bother with leftists. Forget about these political <laughs> prostitutes. Aim higher. Political prostitutes. Wow, that's a great Try term. Try to get into... into uh, large circulation established conservative media, rich, filthy rich movie makers, intellectuals, so-called academic circles. 
cynical, egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the most recruitable people, people who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or too uh, suffer from self-importance. Uh, they feel that uh, they, they matter Hollywood. a lot. Dude, uh, talking about this, KGB wanted very much. Talking about this just reminds me of uh, me saying to somebody, the reason why hip hop culture and our culture is as degraded as it is, is to grow people like this. So when they need a large scale something like uh, rigging a voting election, they have a large pool of people that they can choose from, and they have AI that can statistically pick out. What are the more probable people to do what you want them to do? 2016 was a good example, especially in the blue cities. The level of organization and that they had, they had like community leaders doing everything. Oh boy, oh boy. So oh boy. it's so easy for them to, um, um, how should I put this delicately? Control the optics at the polls. Yeah. Much to recruit. But oh, to eliminate oh. the others, to execute the others, don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be no, the ones they, they rely they on? They serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karmal with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The moment they serve their purpose, all the useful idiots are used, either be executed entirely, all the idealistically-minded Marxists, or uh, exiled or put in prisons, like in Cuba. Many, many former Marxists are in Cuba, I mean in prison. So most of the Indians who were cooperating with the Soviets, especially without uh, the Department of, of uh, Information of the USSR embassy, were listed for execution. Uh, and when I discovered that fact, of course I was sick. I was mentally and physically sick. I thought that I, I'm going to explode one day during the briefing at the ambassador's office. I would stand up and say something that we are basically a bunch of murderers. That's what we are. We, it has nothing to do with friendship and understanding between the nation and blah, blah, blah. We are murderers. We behave as a bunch of thugs in, in a country which, which is hospitable to us, a country which, which, with ancient traditions. But I, I, I did not defect. I tried to get the message across to my horror. Nobody wanted even to listen. 
least of all to believe what I had to say. And I tried all kinds of tricks. I would, I would, I would uh, leak information through letters uh, or lost documents or something like that. And still I got no message. Uh, the message was not published even in the conservative mass media of, of India. The immediate impulse to defect was Bangladesh crisis, which was described by American correspondents as Islamic grassroots revolution, which is absolute baloney. Yeah, uh, there dude. was nothing to do with Islam, and there was no grassroots revolution. Actually, oh, there yeah. are no grassroots revolutions, period. Yep. Any revolution is a byproduct yep. of a highly organized group uh, of conscientious they, Antifa, you didn't start Antifa, fool. You ain't changing shit. In Bangladesh, it was nothing with grassroots. Most of the uh, Awami League party members, Awami League means People's Party, uh, were trained in Moscow in the high party school. Most of the Mukti Fauj leaders, Mukti Fauj in Bengali means People's Army, same as SWAPO and, and all kind of liberation armies all over the world, the same bunch of useful idiots. They were trained at Lumumba University and various centers of the KGB in Simferopol, in, in Crimea, and in Tashkent. So when I saw that India, Indian territory is being used as a, as a jumping board to destroy East Pakistan, I saw myself thousands of, of so-called students traveling through India to East Pakistan, through the territory of India, and Indian government pretended not to see what was going on. They knew perfectly well, the Indian police knew it, the intelligence department of Indian government knew it, the KGB of course knew it, and the CIA knew it. That, that was most infuriating because when I defected and I explained to the CIA debriefers they should watch out because East Pakistan is going to erupt any moment. They said I, 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 was, I was reading too, too many James Bond novels. Anyway, so <laughs> East Pakistan was doomed. Uh, one of my colleagues in, in the Soviet consulate in Calcutta, when he was dead drunk, he ventured into the basement to, to relieve himself and he founded big boxes which said printed matter to Dhaka University. Dhaka is the capital of East Pakistan. And since he was drunk and curious, he opened one of the boxes and he discovered not printed matter. He discovered Kalashnikov guns and ammunition in there. Anyway, it's a long story. When I saw the, the preparations for the, for the uh, invasion into East Pakistan, obviously I wanted to defect immediately. The only thing I couldn't, I couldn't at that time uh, make up my mind when and where and how one of the reasons, of course, you see, I was in love with India. I mentioned that before. I spoke the languages. I socialized with people. And I understood that I had to, to act fast unless I want this beautiful country to be permanently and irreparably damaged by our presence. One of the reasons not to defect was, as you can see, I was living in relative affluence. Who the hell in, in, in the normal mind would defect and do what? To be abused by your media, to be called McCarthyist and fascist and paranoid, or to drive a taxi in New York City? What for? What the hell for should I defect? To be abused by, by Americans, to be insulted in exchange for, for my effort to bring the truthful information about impending danger of subversion. As you can see, I was living in quite a comfortable conditions next to swimming pool where Indians were not allowed, by the way. I was highly paid expert in propaganda. I had my family. I was respected by my nation. My career was cloudless. The third reason, how to defect with the family. To defect with the baby and the wife would be 
virtual suicide because according to law, that hypocritical law which I quoted before, the Indian police will have to hand me over back to the KGB and that will be the end of my defection and probably my life. Again, I cannot smuggle my wife because she was not quite sure what, what I was doing. She was not that idealistically involved and she was definitely not in, in, in the total picture of what I was doing for the KGB. She would be shocked if I, if I uh, you know, put her in my van and, and drive her to American embassy or elsewhere. That would be a greatest danger. So again, I had to defect in such a way that my defection would look as simple disappearance. And there were many cases like that when the Soviet agents simply disappeared either killed in action or, thanks to their curiosity and, and their close contacts with radicals, some of them were killed by the Marxists, by the way. Mm. It happened in many African countries when the Soviet KGB were killed by Africans themselves. Not because they hated Marxism-Leninism, but because they were simply trigger-happy bunch of unruly characters. If you give them machine gun, they will shoot. And some of the Soviets obviously were not careful enough to protect themselves and they got into embarrassing situations when they were shot at the crossfire between factions of, of so-called liberation movements. Anyway, so I, I decided, as I said, to study the uh, counterculture. I decided this probably would be the best way to disappear. I socialized with characters like this on the left. You see, he's a barefoot American hippie. Uh, it took me quite a long time to study exactly what they were doing and how to mix with them. But eventually I did it. Most of Indian newspapers carried my picture and promise of 2,000 rupees for information about my whereabouts. But they were looking for wrong person because they obviously tried to stop a young Soviet diplomat in white shirt and tie. And th this is how I looked at the time of defection. Nobody could possibly <laughs> think that the Soviet diplomat would be as crazy as to join a bunch of hippies. That's you. Tra yes, travel yeah. Indian, smoke hush. So I made it literally a, a, almost like a Hollywood-style um, detective story. Uh, from under the nose of the KGB in Bombay airport, I landed a plane and I flew to, to Greece where I was debriefed by the CIA. That's yeah. basically most, th that's all for my okay, we can slides. Turn the, we can turn off the projector then. That's very interesting. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears open up their eyes and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion 
or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Bruh. Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without Five being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see. Most of the people who graduate... But free love, man! ...dropouts or half-baked intellectuals are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black. You still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid of society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of the uh, of, uh, United States society. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock, when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Yes. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't God. understand, and uh, it will be the greatest shock for them, of course. Or they just weaponize the, that. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, 
thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person Whoa. who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically, America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back That's to normal, normalcy. And right. Then, uh, like if you build it, they will come kind the of next thing. stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, wow, Robert Brezhnev said, now New the norm. situation in brotherly I mean, Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is Christ. what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, goodies. Uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins, never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media, and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in the state of war, undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. 
but you don't have to be paranoid about it. What, what actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility. I do. Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the George? American people? Well, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government. If people will oh, fail dude. to grasp the impending danger time traveler. of that development, nothing ever can help. No, them. they just use the same playbook over and over and freedom, over again. Including freedom they just modernize to homosexuals, it. Mm -hmm. to prison inmates. Let's give it an update. All this freedom Let's will vanish, evaporating in five seconds, including your precious lives. Um, the second thing, I, the moment they've had this playbook for thousands States of years, hasn't changed. That the danger is real. They have to force their government, and I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful, noble activity. I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism, because there is no other problem more burning and, and urgent. Than to stop but China the keeps giving us cheap goods, conflict. though. But also, too, this this could be construed as like a fucking all right. Just go to America, pretend like you defected, and just try. You stop. You did great with that revolution in India. You did fucking great. Go to America and do that. Try to go do that in America. No, I mean it's the, the 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 karmic. Um, what is it? Backlash. It was there the, uh, the whole time. They knew. They knew. <laughs> you, <laughs> you knew. Destroying what is, whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits, no technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition. And of course, no such idiocy as grain deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of, of Soviets, will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic, two, two very simple, maybe two simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless they are the only solutions. Educate yourself, understand what's going on around you. You are not living at a time of peace. You are in a state of war. And you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There's not much time left for convulsions and sexual masturbation uh, uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just, just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they, I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon.
And it, they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves. It's, it's simplistic. I know it sounds... Go to Antarctica to manage slaves? Well, yeah, you gotta... I mean, they need slaves to... You know, Boys? Run the... They need slaves to, you know, be, you know, run the services for the people in New Schwabenland. Wow. Somebody say something? Is that Diana speaking? Possibly. It's All right, come on, one, one minute left. Let's go. I don't like to listen to things that are almost unpleasant. Home stretch. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocy as, as microfilm James Bond type espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. Um, you may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to. Wow, so when was that? Let's see, what year did that come out? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, it's not stated. I think that was 84. 84. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's 84. See, even the correlation with the year in 1984 is a little suspect. No, because if you think about 84, right, 15 years later, you know, around yep, yep. about circa, what happened? 2001. Yep. Didn't he work as a teacher? So if one of the things he did do, like him coming over here basically taught a whole generation these tactics. Like whatever students he had probably used that information to then do what we are seeing now. Yeah. And then 20 years later, we had the insurrection at the Capitol. Yeah, I mean, people like him have been teaching in Ivy League schools forever. I'm not too sure what school he taught at. I'm, I think he came became a teacher, though. Oh, so apparently because they're, they're labeling it an insurrection, it has huge legal ramifications. Mm. Like, if you're a notary of the state, if you participate in an insurrection, 20 years. So it has, like, a legal ramification. That's why they keep pushing that, that word? Yes. Right. I figured so as much. Words fucking matter. So if people really decide to, to do some fucking real rioting, like on some real shit, not like going to Target. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're setting it up now. Isn't that what Sam was saying, too, on the most recent episode of Conspiracy Social Club? He says uh, he thinks that it's going to be... He's, he thinks FEMA that camps the, FEMA camps, the FEMA camps are not for the unvaccinated. They're going to be for the people who are going to riot, and they're going to try to force some riots... So that you can get some insurrectionists out into the open to the public, and that, and then look, even the f idea of them throwing that out, what it does, what is it does to people like us? Makes us complacent, and be like, well, I'm not going to go to the protests for fear of being an insurrectionist. No, I mean Yeesh. the the real the real answer, Dave, is that we have to, it's we have to go somewhere where we can have guns. Well, that's what I mean. That's what he was talking about. Uh, you have to just educate a new generation. So basically, it's kind of what people are doing, moving to Idaho and whatnot, mm -hmm. and just 
pulling out of school systems and teaching their kids homeschool. And that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like everything that like everything that the truther community does is important. Well, we should make a truther communion. Not communion, like a a compound truther compound. Um yeah, dude. We should make our own Alexandra. Sick, dude. Alexandria. It's gonna be so hard to keep it from getting infiltrated though. Sick, dude. It's okay. Alright, any lasting thoughts? Thank you all for being here. <sighs> interesting uh, take. I'm it was very interesting. Lots of good information to digest. Um, Alright, well, thanks everybody for being here. I'm gonna end the stream, but feel free to stay in. Come on down, Swarmcast. Link in the Discord in, in the info. Also, go to chat.samtriply.com, please. We're going to be there. We're going to start trying to stream from there. We'll see how it goes. I, of course, am your host. 